Hey up, Nick's going to hear from Two Fat Lardies and also from episode 7 and 33 of the Yorkshire Gamers Eat Big Wargaming podcast. Um, you know, I was in London the other day with Sid and Richard and Dave Brown and we were walking through Soho. Um, we were on our way to a restaurant, but we had a bit of time, so we stopped at a bar and we noticed outside this bar it had a sign on the window and it said, um, Wargaming bar, all drinks, 10p. So we looked at each other and went into this bar, couldn't believe you know, the idea that there would be just 10 p a pint. And we walked in the bar and we said, uh, four pints, please, barman. So the barman gave us four pints. Uh, and he said, that'd be 40p, please. So we gave him our 40p, drank our beers. Then we decided, well, you know, we've still got time. Let's have another pint. So we had another pint each. So Richard goes to the bar and he buys four beers. And the barman says, 40p, please. Uh, so Richard pays a 40p and comes back and we drink these beers as well. And then, then it comes to Dave Brown's turn to go and get around. And we're saying, well, look, we've still got time. You know, we've been here. Um, we've had two beers. We haven't spent a quid yet. And so we go up to the bar and Dave Brown says, uh, another four beers, please, barman. So the barman pours in four beers. And while he's pouring them, Dave says to him, uh, I hope you don't mind me asking, but how come you can afford to be charging us just 10p a pint? These are crazy prices, even with today's costs. The 10p a pint is ridiculous. And the barman says, well, I'm, I used to be a wargamer. And so I set this bar up and I decided that, you know, any wargamer came in here, beer would be 10p, wine would be 10p, gin would be 10p, anything, only 10p. I want to make this the cheapest bar in London for wargamers. Well, that's very kind, says Dave. That's amazing. Uh, and then Dave looks down the bar and he notices at the end of the bar, there's a figure sitting there all on his own looks a bit sad and he says he calls me over and he says hang on a minute isn't that isn't that ken riley down there at the end of the bar the yorkshire gamer and i said yeah he is and i said we called the barman over and said hey that's that's ken riley down there he's uh, he's sitting on his own he hasn't got a drink what's he doing he says oh he comes in every day about this time he's waiting for happy hour and all the drinks are half price happy christmas Hello and welcome to episode 37 of Yorkshire Gamers, our Elite Big War Games podcast. And not only is this episode 37, it's also episode 4, because this is a Brews in the Binyard episode, and it's the Brews in the Binyard Christmas special uh, 2022. And if you're not familiar, these shows are very, very different to the uh, normal interview episodes uh, that uh, I do on this podcast. So, first of all, you'd notice that it wasn't me talking at the start. It was the wonderful Nick Skinner from Two Fat Lardies. And uh, in the Christmas edition each year, I get the previous guests from the year to uh, send me a Christmas message for the listeners, if they possibly can. And uh, Nick has knocked it out of the park this uh, year with that uh, lovely little joke uh, that he came up with there. Uh, very amusing and uh, very much enjoyable. So much so that I decided to open the show with it. So thank you very much to the, uh, for that, Nick. And thank you very much as well to all the other guests who are, you are going to hear over the course of this podcast. Um, it's only a week since uh, I put the last one out, which was the second part of the interview with Henry Hyde and that has gone extremely well lots of positive feedback really high numbers listening to it 
a lot of people enjoy listening to Henry, so it's no surprise. And I had a really good laugh with him. And um, talking of laughs, that's kind of where we're going to go with this podcast uh, today. If you haven't listened to a bruise in the barnyard uh, before, then uh, be prepared. Um, we do a lot of jokes. We loosen up a little bit on the language um, and we just have a really really good laugh and if you're a little bit sensitive uh, we might we're not trying to offend anyone we I never you know I didn't try to offend anyone with my eight out of ten bill hooks review but somehow I managed to um, so uh, anything that you do here on here is pure fun pure humor it's three uh, good friends chatting away and talking about a hobby that they really really love and speaking of those friends uh, we've got alex sutheran from storm of steel um and uh, would you believe it i've got sean clark from god's own scale i'm so glad that sean has done this uh, you will know that uh, he has uh, stopped his God's Own Scale podcast after 50 episodes, 50 brilliant episodes, I have to say, and um, sort of stepped back from his limelight in the hobby. And uh, he uh, has decided to uh, grace the airwaves for another bruise in the binyard. And I'm really happy with that because he is an integral part of what Brews in the Binyards is all about. Just a quick note on the recording of the podcast. Uh, unfortunately, we had absolutely loads of problems with Sean's internet connection, uh, which dropped out a few times. It wouldn't let us uh, record all of his parts for some of the podcasts. So uh, I've made a little bit of a joke of it, and uh, I just want you to imagine Sean being abducted by some aliens and uh, you'll get what I mean when you get to the point in the uh, in in the episode when that happens but uh, yeah I uh, hope it doesn't spoil your enjoyment I've tried to make it part of the show and I think it's fitted in reasonably well um, but uh, if you'd all like to give generously so Sean can get a decent internet connection that would be great so it's a long one you want to sit back you want to make sure that you've got no sharp objects around you, just in case you start laughing at any particular moment in time. Make sure the kids aren't listening and uh, we're ready to go. So without further ado, here's an interview. Hi Ken, it's Stephen Barker from episode 25 of the Yorkshire Gamers Reap Big War Games podcast. It was great to reminisce about our formative wargaming days that afternoon, Ken. I really enjoyed it. I'd like to wish all your listeners and viewers a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. May all your wargaming rivers flow the colour of dirty, mucky coffee. All the best. Hi, it's Steve from One Point HQ, and I appeared on episode 26 and 27 of the Yorkshire Gamers Reap Big War Games podcast. Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, what can I say? My life has changed for the better since appearing with Ken and my buddy Martin on there. The the phone won't stop ringing. The agents won't won't leave me alone. But I would highly suggest if Ken gives you a call uh, to to appear on the podcast, I would definitely go for it. Merry Christmas, everybody, and a happy twenty twenty three. Hi, Mark Freeth here from episodes five and twenty three of the Yorkshire Gamers Reap Big podcast. I'm the host of the Wargames Holiday Centre and I just wanted to take an opportunity to wish all you gamers out there a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. 
I'd also like to say that I wouldn't be leaving this message if it weren't for the host's genial, affable and lovable nature. Every episode so far has been enlightening. Okay, is that enough, Ken? Uh, Shall I leave you with the bank details for the transfer? It was a tenner, wasn't it? Uh, Why are you shaking your head, Ken? Stop. (laughs) Merry Christmas, everyone. Well, hello and welcome to the Christmas edition of the Brews in the Binyard. It's the 2022 Christmas special. So I want you to imagine, if you will, a picture. A small terrace street on the west side of a northern town. It's Norrid Terrace. It's quiet tonight and the dying embers of a burnt-out stolen Range Rover light one end of the street, which is otherwise eerily quiet. The students have all gone home and the burglars are down the working men's club having the Christmas do. But the light is on at number 11 and if you look closely, a nativity scene is being played out. Chantelle is clutching her newborn baby boy called Jesus. A miracle, she says. Daryl, her boyfriend, isn't so sure. He's been away for three years and although he's not very good at maths... Chantelle's story of a virgin birth and visiting angels isn't convincing him. That, the boy looks remarkably like Derek at number seven. (laughs) To complete the scene, three shepherds, or shall we call them social workers, have gathered on to watch the baby. And then, from the east, there comes a bright light. Is it a wandering star? A sign of portent? Or is it the searchlight from a police helicopter? <laughs> anyway, whatever it is, it brings with it three wise men. But they walk past the nativity and turn left into a small binyard. The one known as the Yorkshire Gamer pours three mugs of tea and they settle down around the warmth of a burning bin. So it's time to meet the boys. Because the boys are here. The boys to entertain you. So joining me tonight... On this biannual podcast special, there are two stalwarts of the podcast, and you know who they are. In the general waste bin corner, we have the star of the YouTubes. With over 9,000 subscribers of his Storm and Steel channel, it continues to grow faster than my waistline after a visit to the pie shop. <laughs> Fresh from setting the internet alight with his views on World War One and Graham Hancock's ancient apocalypse, we have fire sting extinguishers at the ready. Some say he's 50% Henderson's relish, and that he never sleeps because he's always making videos, but we know him as Alex Sutherland. Hello, Alex. Evening, Ken. Thanks, Amelia, for that. Thanks very much. What an introduction, eh? What a, what a terrific introduction to uh, uh, the start of what is now a tradition. Two two in a row is a tradition, isn't it? At this point, yes, right. it is. It is. And this is is this episode four or five? I can't remember. Five. Was it five? Is it? I thought this yeah, was the second we, we, Christmas we, special. We've but done I, two su- two summers. Ah, oh, no, four, two summers, and this is the second. Christmas, oh, okay. Well, I, I, to be honest, I blanked all of them out. So yeah, I've, the, I've got the, the trauma you know, was just too much. I've got a degree in engineering and I know fuck all about counting. <laughs> I'm an archaeologist, mate, not a mathematician. <laughs> but what can I say about my other guest? Over by the discarded car batteries and wearing an absolutely amazing costume that I was completely unaware of. 
He's been a huge voice for the small scales for many years, and when he recently decided to step back from his wonderful God's Own Scale podcast, the outpouring of thanks and well wishes from the Wargames community was wonderful to see. And we're here tonight to celebrate the recent announcement that Sean has been made Professor of Mexican Revolution Studies <laughs> at the University <laughs> of Stoke-on-Trent. And he's about to embark on a sold-out worldwide lecture tour of his best-selling book entitled Pancho Villa and That Other Bloke. <laughs> Emilio Estevez. <laughs> <laughs> so, I want everyone to welcome Wargaming's favourite clerk. And I'm sorry, Richard, it's not you, mate. Hello, Sean. I've got strong competition, haven't I, uh, with Richard there. Uh, but he does spell it slightly differently. So, uh, I like to think I'm the I'm the favourite clerk without an E. Is he is is he a splitter from He's the? He's a splitter clerk? with an E. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't afford him up north. What the listeners can't see is that Sean's turned up as though he's been dressed in a, an explosion in a paint factory. <laughs> I'm not, although I'm not sure if it's contrast paint or or if it's normal paint. It's like it's like a it's like a, a sheet from a '60s loving. <laughs> oh God! Put it back down. I'd rather see, I'd rather see the top of it than what's underneath it. Thanks. Yeah. He, he's he, he uh, Sean is resplendent in a in a Mexican hat, uh, a, a rather disturbing nineteen seventies porno tash, and uh, 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 what are they called? Poncho, is it or Poncho? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Poncho. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well I, I know, I know, I know my stuff. I know my stuff, don't I? <laughs> Excellent. We've reached 1976 <laughs> as far as the fashion sakes goes. Oh, that might be just the moustache. It could well, yeah. <laughs> oh, what can I say? But it's, it's, it's glad that you've entered into the spirit of it. Well, I, I've come in straight from work, so I couldn't be asked to get changed. So I thought I'll just uh, <laughs> keep oh, the uniform on. I wasn't sure whether on. it was. Yeah, it was work with all that, that, that padding at the back of the room. I thought you were somewhere else. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, Sean, Sean, we've got to start with you, mate. Um, obviously, we've seen the end of God's Own Scale, um, which is a great shame, and, and a lot of people um, have wished you all the best with it. And, uh, and so, the worst, ha- some of them. And the worst, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we'll be talking about internet trolls very, very shortly. Um, So how are you, mate? Um, What's happened with God's Own Scale? Just fill us in. Yes, uh, all's good. All's good. Um, Just a a little bit of ill health uh, combined with just trying to get back a a little bit of the hobby time, I think. Um, I was, like anybody with... Uh, the busy lifestyle of uh, a rock and roll Mexican uh, cage fighter that I lead <laughs> in Stoke on Trent. <laughs> Finding uh, time for hobby can be difficult at times, but uh, uh, I think I've just reclaimed a little bit of that. It's actually proved very productive. I've been painting like an absolute demon. Um, never say never. Uh, there may be uh, a, a return at some point, uh, whether to uh, the airwaves or to the YouTubes. Uh, after after Alex's most excellent 
video on how to do a battle report. I thought that was tremendous. Oh, um, but, but my little box brownie camera, I don't think, is quite up to the uh, <laughs> <laughs> standard to record. Um, I tried it through my Nokia 3310, but I couldn't find the on button. Uh, but no, uh, Just yes. Just a snake uh, going around the screen. <laughs> that's right. Uh, but yes, thank you to everybody that did reach out and say how much they enjoyed God's Own Scale. We reached 50 episodes, and I thought that was probably a good time to uh, hang up the microphone for a little bit. Uh, and just see where life takes me. To be honest, really, no, it's a good number. Yeah. Fifty is a good number, I think. You know, and, yeah. and it was a it's a very good podcast. I really enjoyed it. Always enjoyed yeah. it. Listen to it driving up and down Scotland. It's a shame to see it go, but you know, at the end of the day, it's your choice, isn't it? That's the bottom line. Yeah, you've got you've got to make these decisions sometimes. And uh, the the guests that I had on every every single one, well, apart from one, maybe uh, they uh, were decent. <laughs> Sorry, Alex, I never I'm got sorry. on. I never got on. <laughs> you so never I got on. on. In fact, you were you were down for episode fifty-one, Ken. Oh, I penciled you. <laughs> Story of your life. Yeah. Oh, so close. So but close. It, it was uh, it, it, for me uh, as the uh, person interviewing the people. It was great to get that insight behind the industry curtain, if you like, and speaking to some of the excellent hobbyists up and down the country and. Uh, yeah, it was a real pleasure. But um, as I say, never say never. Who knows? Who knows where we'll be well, this time next yeah. year? Well, probably sat here doing the same thing. Most Possibly. Likely, yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Stockholm syndrome, I think yeah. it's called, isn't it? Oh, we, we'll vote, yeah. <laughs> We'll we'll have all dressed we'll have all dressed up as Mexicans and Sean won't and we'll look like a pair of Nardas. What what Ken isn't telling the listenership is that he uh, he's kidnapped me and Alex and we are stuck in his basement. <laughs> so if anyone can cry come and help, for help, if anyone knows where he lives, come and rescue us. Yeah, you get you get let out twice a year to do this. You shouldn't exactly, we're very grateful. I'm not saying we're not we grateful. Love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It, it does feed us once a week. But we have paint all those 28 mil figures. It's hell. Yeah, that's what's killing me. Uh, yeah. Those papal guard that he's been saying he's been painting, that's been me and Alex. What can I say? Well, the secret about how I paint so much many figures is finally out. What, 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 what very own say? sweatshop. Well. I think the food's very I think the food's very good. <laughs> mushy peas. I, I love bu- mushy peas. Mushy yeah. mushy peas. I change the bucket in the corner of the room once a week. I think it's uh Yeah, I yeah, you do you do treat good. as well. You do treat as spoilers, yeah. in fact. I chili yeah. you spoilers. That's the drinking water, isn't it? Or, or am I mistaken? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, Sean, you don't get free lemonade every day. <laughs> I thought it was apple juice. <laughs> little bits of chocolate as well. <laughs> He's got a heart after all. Yes. And I, th- I thought we'd lose our monetization a lot longer than 10 minutes and 30 seconds. <laughs> no chance. No, no chance. chance. No <laughs> chance at all. Ten minutes in. Uh, yeah, I'm just a bit worried, Alex, that you said 50 is a good number. I'm, I'm on 35 now. No, this is 36. No, 37. Jesus Christ. <laughs> you're not good with numbers, are you? Uh, yeah, you're not good. <laughs> Where am I? What is it? What year is this? Who's president? <laughs> well, it is. I think it's, well, you know, it's, I think it is a good number, isn't it? You know, 50 is a good number, and, and a 36 is good. 37, however many you've got, Ken. 
So, Alex, so Alex, can you can you come on for fifty one then for for my episode fifty one? I'll, I'll book you now. Yeah, just to, just to show Sean. Yeah, no no worries. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant! Right. Um, so, uh, Alex, Alex, you were chatting with Mister Rich Clark, weren't you? Uh, the other the the number two Clark in the hobby. You were talking yeah. to uh, Rich last week. How did that if go? If I could, if I could have got a word in edgeways, yes, oh, it was. Oh. Uh, yeah, that was very good, actually. Uh, we've been talking about it for a couple of weeks, and uh, it was just a, a chance to to talk about history of wargaming, really, because uh, obviously he's big into his history, and obviously he's big into his wargaming as well, so <laughs> it was something to chat about. Yeah, we could quite a lot, really, because I'm, I'm, I'm also interested in uh, in rules and rule mechanisms and how how people arrive at rules mechanisms, and people like Two Fat Lardies are quite uh, innovative in the wargaming world. As I'm sure you're aware, a lot of people yeah. don't like it. Some people do like it, and I'm one of the ones that do like it. But they, I, I like a lot of board games for the same reason because they're, they're innovative. Because you know they, they they'll take what is a, a basically an old uh, rule mechanic and completely change it around to something that you've never even thought of. Whereas a lot of I find a lot of war games rules are quite uh, quite staid and plodding and a bit pedestrian. You know, I mean, they, shit. They, <laughs> if that's how you want to describe it, Ken, then that's how you want to describe it. I'm just saying that I find I find them personally that they are a little plodding and <laughs> pedestrian. Uh, this is this is the adult version. Remember, nobody listens to this one. It's <laughs> a fair point. <laughs> but 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 yeah. So I, I was really interested in just finding out what happens under the bonnet to the two fat lardy stuff, really, and how he yeah. gets, you know, where he gets to. And I think we covered Thanks. some of that stuff. We had a bit of a I'm laugh. Not, I got demonetized. Yeah. I've only watched. Um, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I only managed to watch half of it so far. So, does it get a lot worse later on? Does he go on a an epic sweary rant about something? I don't really know actually what it was that upset people because he was on pretty good behaviour. To be fair, uh, it was probably more me swearing, <laughs> saying uh, people's understanding of the First World War is bollocks. I think that might have been the thing that, uh, that that was picked up. I don't know because it's the first time that it's happened to me on my YouTube channel that I've had a limited monetization on a video. But well, it's it, it's happened it's happened to me once as well. And do yeah. you two want to guess which episode it was? Mm. Uh, <laughs> any idea, Alex? Go <laughs> mm, think. Henry Hyde. It was a Henry Hyde one. Henry Hyde, yeah, most definitely. definitely. Yeah, because yeah, Henry, sw- Henry swears like a trooper all the time. <laughs> he did on that one. He turned the very air blue. He, he it did. shocked he, me. He, he, he shocked me as well. Yeah, it's was, like it, when your a... granddad swears at you. You're just like, what? what? Where did that come from? <laughs> and that, that, rant, that rant about the um, mud-coloured uniforms. Oh, yeah, he, absolutely. He, yeah, yeah. He'd gone. He'd gone and he was. <laughs> 20 oh. minutes later. So come back, yeah, come back, I'd, Henry. I'd gone downstairs. I'd made some toast. I'd, I'd come back up. I'd, I'd walk the dog. He's still going. <laughs> still going, bless him. Yeah. So I don't know why. Yeah. Like you say, I don't know why sometimes they demonetize. I don't know whether people yeah. actually listen to this stuff or whether it's like a robot that picks out the swearing. Yeah, I think it is because I've asked for a human review, so hopefully that'll get it monetized again. You Poor can, you bastard! Can do that. 
I mean, just <laughs> sitting through that for two hours of us talking about toy soldiers and history. God, imagine that. <laughs> oh, dear me. Probably, probably want to listen to that right. 10 minutes and go, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> just <there you> go. <laughs> yeah, matter. wouldn't it? Yeah. I don't want to listen to the rest of this. <laughs> well, we, we've got, a, we've got a, a great collection of questions from uh, uh, viewers and listeners later on. Uh, but before we do, I've got one question for, for Alex, actually, because uh, I don't know if you remember... Um, Towards the end of the last episode, um, I remember. Said, I can't remember the beginning of the last episode or exactly, any of the others. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Do you think I am? You you said you said that you would rather trap your dick in a fridge <laughs> than, than carry on with um, that particular episode, and you did carry on. So we do have we do have a question. For actually, the I'm gonna, I think it wasn't. It was it was actually slam my dick in a fridge door. Like, yes, it was. If you're Sorry. right, if you're correct. Sorry. Uh, and the question. It's a whole different beast. There's uh, two yeah. different things. Two different things. And uh, the question from the medical advisor for this show is: Are you still pissing straight? <laughs> no. Short answer. But one of those is for pleasure, and one is for pain, isn't it? That's it. Absolutely. In, yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah I'm not going to tell you which is, is which. No. <laughs> Is, is this the Rotherham and District uh, fridge dick slammers? Uh, yeah, we group? we don't we don't like to say too much in in the open, so I'm gonna. I'd, I'd rather just draw a discreet veil over that. And my we don't dick. talk about the dick slammers club. No. First rule. The first rule. Don't talk about it. <laughs> Second rule is don't trap your dick in the door. Yeah. Yeah. Open it again. I can I can just imagine you all meeting on a. On a Sunday morning at um, Curry's on an industrial estate somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Mummy, mummy, why is there some blood on this fridge door? Anyway, I could, tell you, I could tell you a story about a vacuum cleaner I found once on an industrial estate. Well, go on. Uh, but go on. no, no, we'll save that. We'll save that for <laughs> off the air. <laughs> what, like, like we're going to get re-monetized? <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, a, it was a, key, key bit, <laughs> a key bit of evidence in, uh, in, a, in a report of a guy who'd been kidnapped and he'd said he'd had Ooh. a vacuum cleaner shoved up his backside. Wow. Uh, and when they, where they did it was on this industrial estate. So me and my colleague, as uh, two young and very keen detectives, thought, well, we'll just have a little scoot up to this industrial estate, see if there's a vacuum cleaner lying around. And, mm. and there it was, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, so oh, perhaps he is telling the truth. Yeah, yeah I don't oh, think dear. I've ever seen that on like the Sopranos or any of these. Like, really, <laughs> really, it's in, that's inventive, I guess. It, it yeah, is, yeah. yeah. You know, good points for that. So, yeah, welcome to the Wargaming podcast, everybody. <laughs> I don't think it was switched on at the time. I don't think it was like a way of uh, evacuating his bowels, but. <laughs> I think they missed oh a trick there, God. didn't they? We did. Eighteen yeah. minutes in. Eighteen minutes in. Have we mentioned wargaming yet? Br- briefly, in, in passing, wasn't it? <laughs> Somebody tried to, but just move swiftly on. Soon got shut down, didn't it? Yeah, yeah I, th- I, I think we'll get another one of those. Who are these three fucking idiots? <laughs> what I do want. On, on what the, I do want. On just on. Just on that topic. Don't. Let's not finish this recording before we go back to the thing that you said about uh, people thinking First World War gaming is bollocks because I've listened to a podcast yesterday that had me seething with rage. Uh, so <laughs> let, let me come on to that at some point. Don't let me forget. Oh, okay. 
that's 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 one of the the few things I was going to discuss in this in this first bit anyway because um in my little jokey bit at the start um Alex has been quite literally setting the twitters on fire um <laughs> with his with his out of date opinions <laughs> or whatever it is that there is so don't talk about all quiet on the western front for god's sake <laughs> yeah so um if if for those who aren't on on twitter Alex um Tell us who it was in Ireland that you really annoyed, <laughs> and uh, what happened. Uh, I just put a picture up of Haig uh, in 1918, November, with his uh, chiefs of staff and uh, and their uh, their chaps. You know the, uh, the 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 army commanders of 1918, arguably the architects of uh, of victory. Uh, it was it was a photograph taken just after the armistice, I think, uh, at their Morel um, Sur. Uh, I can't remember the name of the the place, but it was their HQ basically, uh, and somewhere in France, you know, yeah, somewhere in France. And there was a few, you know, a few comments here and there. Somebody, uh, we had a relatively polite argument about uh, how how we saw Hague. Uh, one chap who, you know, he he didn't think he was uh, all that. I I do. So uh, I pointed him towards a book that I thought might change his mind. He said he'd already read it. So I said, well, there's no point arguing anymore, is there? Because <laughs> If if that's not going to change your mind, then I'm a, a Twitter conversation isn't. Are we parted? I think not friends, but not enemies. But then uh, somebody else po- uh, retweeted it and just said uh, donkeys. This uh, fella, what did he call himself? Screenwriter, uh, Irish screenwriter in Cali, I think he's called. So I'm um, thinking Irish guy lives in California. Which then, uh, I, I, I just, all I just said was, um, that's that's not how it was. Uh, no, I said no. I said architects of victory. Then he said. Uh, then he started. So he, he basically was pulling out all the nineteen sixties uh, tropes and rubbish about the, uh, the the general headquarters of the First World War, the British British Expeditionary Force at least. And uh, and 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 I just said, you know, something along the lines of that's that's not right, really. And then uh, he blocked me. <laughs> uh, hey. and, and before that, he put me on a on a on a list. Because you know when you somebody puts you on a list on Twitter, you can see what the list is, and the list was something like gobshites or something like that. I think it was. Wow, nice. <laughs> That's quite an achievement. I, I wish I'd screenshotted that because I missed it. Because now obviously he's blocked me, so I can't see which list he put me on. But I I retweeted it and said, you know, this is a perfect example of you know uh, the the misinterpretation or misunderstanding of the first world war that I might use it as an example and uh, and then quite a lot of other people who because I, I follow people who are first world war historians and some of them follow me back and things they all jumped on and then there was just this like <laughs> hundreds of comments and literally everybody came out of the woodwork just to say actually that's not how it happened it's your, this is a really old bollocks trope and it's and it's shite and you know you don't know what you're talking about pal read some history and literally you know the ninety nine percent of the, uh, the 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 comments on it, and he, I think he responded to a couple of people. But again, it was difficult to see because I was blocked, so I just logged out, logged into another burner account, and uh, just checked what he uh, what he'd read. Uh, <laughs> That's the way around it, folks. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, the old burner and, account. The old burner account. Uh, it was. Uh, it's not really a burner account. It was something I got set up for a, a, a thing that... Uh, Don't try and defend yourself now, Alex. The <laughs> truth is out. <laughs> we have the confession. <laughs> we do. We do, yeah. Uh, but, 
it was uh, so I was just I was just checking up to see what he'd said, but yeah, he was. Uh, but the, the thing is, despite the fact that the you know the some of the best historians of the First World War were were telling him he was wrong. He just dug his heels in and just got worse and worse, and then just turned into insults. And it's like you, you, oh, that was it. So I said to him, if you, if you turn to insults, then you've lost the argument. And you know, he's he had turned to insults at that point, and it was there wasn't even any discussion. And like I say, with all these other hundreds of comments, there was literally just there were those kind of people you can't reach them. Now, <clears throat> the thing with that is. Right, this it was one. It was one idiot. It doesn't matter. He was, you know, he's an idiot. He's going to go through his life thinking that it doesn't matter. You know, <laughs> what I found good and interesting is that there were so many people that were on the other side of the argument, mm. and vociferously so. It's not a minority anymore. It's a majority view, from what I can see, or at least within that area of Twitter. You know, within historical Twitter or people who follow people for history. So I think, arguably. The the uh, what used to be called uh, rev- the revisionist argument, which I don't think really counts anymore. I was talking to Rich about this, Rich Clark about it. Uh, I don't think it counts anymore either. Uh, they used to be called revisionists, you know, like John Terrain and Gary Sheffield and uh, Paddy Griffith, people like that, because they were revising the perceived history. And I think the history has now changed, and they are now becoming the, you know, the, it's becoming the history of the First World War has changed somewhat in people's views mm. uh, and it's been pegged away. It was even, even uh, Simon Mayo said this in, uh, what's he called, Mark Commode's review of All Quiet on the Western Front. Even Simon Mayo said, well, some of those uh, some of those arguments have been challenged in recent years. So if it's getting through to people like Simon Mayo, then... In, in between introducing Kajagoogoo's latest hit... <laughs> well, it's on their it was on their film review thing, but yes, I think he went straight on to Kajagoogoo straight after it. <laughs> or Shawadi Wadi, Shawadi Wadi. But I just so, thought, <laughs> I think it's received wisdom now, Alex, isn't yes. it? I think, yeah, I think um, you're right. I think, I think the balance has now tipped away from the phrase revisionist history mm. as as you're right gary sheffield and uh john terrain and um john Bourne would come out with when they yeah, were the first yeah. purveyors of it and to be honest man i think i think the wealth of or that, that volume of noise that came in support of what you're saying is just because people have read a book written post 1970 mm. yeah um, exactly that because exactly that. The, the literature is out there isn't it yeah, and people yeah. can still form their own opinion on what happened, but you've got to have some substance and something, some weight of evidence behind it to back it up. So yeah, yeah. I, I strongly suspect Irish screenwriter or whoever he was is probably <laughs> of the Blackadder Goes Forth mentality. Very much so. Yeah, yeah. Um, do, you th- do you think he's got a forthcoming play coming to the stage in Dublin called Over the Top, All My Mates Are Dead? <laughs> donkeys, donkeys, donkeys. Donkeys, yeah. <laughs> Most likely, yeah. He's probably working on it as we speak now. He's probably writing the, the follow-up to All Quiet on the Western Front, to be honest. As often happens with when people like this pop up on Twitter, I, I, I will do some due diligence and and go back through their old tweets and see who they're following <laughs> and what have they liked and there's generally always a bit the of detective porn. always generally, the detective. <laughs> generally a bit of porn in there 
and if they've got double figures followers, then you usually surprised. So you know, I, I think it was. A, I thought it was actually quite a, um, an interesting exchange. Um, and he, he, I don't think he had any supporters at all. No, he, I don't he, think he did. I don't, was... I don't think he did, Alex. He may have had one. I, I may misremember, but. As you've said, whoops! Um, there's my burner account. <laughs> the the, the uh, overwhelming majority, if not all, uh, saw yeah. through what the comments he made, um, and and why it was wrong. Not just not just bandwagon jumping to say it's trendy to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the the uh, the donkey's myth is is is. Is just that a myth? I think it's because people are more educated these days, and there's more literature. I think available. you're right. Yeah, and I think it is changing. I think it is it is coming into the public consciousness more. I mean, I spent a lot of time during the uh, the centenary uh, fighting uh, with these kind of arguments. So you know, I, I don't, don't, I don't care if that guy thinks they were donkeys or not. I was just doing it to wind him up in the first place, anyway. You know, let him think what he thinks. It makes no difference to my life. You know, I've, I've read a book. He hasn't. You know, that's the, the interesting difference. thing, though, the interesting thing on that, though, is I think if you stop the average person in the street, that would be their, um, that that would be their attitude towards the war. I think the average person in the street would still. Say, oh, I saw that last episode of Blackadder Goes Forth, and uh, mm. wasn't it terrible that all those millions of men went to the death for nothing? Mm. Um, but I think that, I think can... that that's the average. I, I would imagine if you stopped uh, the average person, that was what that's what they come up with. Yeah, but then you also got to think as well that the average person doesn't know anything about the Second World War either, or any yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely, the, you know, absolutely. It's yeah. the same the same way that like people probably watch SAS Rogue Heroes and think. That is the absolute truth of yeah. the formation of the SAS. When you know it couldn't be further from the truth. As mm. as an enjoyable program as it was, it's you know it's still fictional history, isn't it? Really. You're telling uh, me yeah. that you're telling me that Motorhead weren't going in 1941. <laughs> <laughs> that was ace, wasn't it? That was that was good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, again, you know, well, I suppose it's yeah, things are perpetuated by stuff like all quiet on the western front the film and things uh you know that's it it that was very much lions and donkeys narrative and and because because it's easy to write it's easy to make you know that kind of stuff it's easy to fall back on those kind of myths and the problem is they get perpetuated through that so yes i think probably the average person on the street who doesn't know anything about the first world war is going to think that that was pretty much a documentary you know whereas but then you would expect that if you were able to sit down with somebody for a couple of pints, a pub, or even just a quick chat, or just you know, be able to say, "Well, it's not exactly like that; it's a bit more nuanced." Whereas this guy, his his whole reaction to it was, uh, "You're wrong. I'm right. Doesn't matter. You know, I'm not going to change my mind on this." So, yeah. you know, as far as I'm concerned, that, that guy's a lost cause anyway. It really doesn't matter in the first instance. Well, he's he's, never he's, he's just seeing his screenwriting baffle go out of the window. That's that's where, where he's coming from. <laughs> I'd be interested to see what from. he's written. <laughs> I wonder what films he's written. He's <laughs> probably be so, hawking so, around California so what, for 30 years. <laughs> yeah. What was the podcast then, Sean, that um, set off your fire extinguisher? <laughs> now, um, it's a podcast I really enjoy. It's called Anything But A One. Um, it's three American guys. Uh, I've had contact with them in the past, uh, and it's a, it's a really interesting take on 
historical wargaming. Um, it, it sounds like this, these guys have been back, uh, have been together forever, uh, playing you know through the seventies, eighties, nineties, etc. Uh, but they're, they're, not last boy, they're not a boy band like we are who've just been put together <laughs> for commercial exploitation. <laughs> Simon Cowell or something. <laughs> Louis Walsh. I don't know what they look like, but the, the voices are quite sexy. So if you're listening, uh, guys, <laughs> your voices are different. But, but the, the episode <laughs> just was... You're about uh, to launch into an insult on them. You give them a nice, <laughs> a nice compliment. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So um, the episode was: Can you game World World War One or First World War? Yeah. Um, and the, well, the Americans would be World War One. Yes, exactly. Um, the you just turn up, turn up late. Is that what you do? You just turn up late. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Every, everyone sets up, plays eight out of ten moves, and then you turn up at the end. Is that how? Americans Don't do learn that? anything. The, the interesting bit. Was Sorry, the Joe, we're interrupting. Yeah. No, 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 no. Absolutely. But uh, the interesting point was they accepted that fact that they were the Americans were very late into the war, and therefore yeah. is it a cultural thing that it's never really taken off in the states? I don't buy that argument because they, they play Napoleonics. I mean, America wasn't particularly involved in the Napoleonic Wars other than the War of 1812. So, and that wasn't really Napoleonics, was it? Napoleon wasn't involved. And yet they're massively into their Napoleonic gaming. So I don't really buy that sort of argument because the literature is out there to read, as we've already discussed. Um, there's plenty of resources online. There's YouTube videos, there's films. Well, all <laughs> uh, quite on the western <laughs> front of the side or the last last version of it the previous two pretty good um, but I, I, for me it just came across as though they didn't really know enough about the conflict um, they were suggesting that you can't replicate ch- trench warfare on the tabletop, there's no rules out there that you could do it with um, one mention Funny, about I, was just the, do, I was just doing that yesterday for a film for a show, yeah. another video one, one mentioned the Middle East um, or the Gallipoli campaigns, uh, but they didn't consider that World War One gaming. That's close to colonial war gaming. And th- there's possibly an aspect of that. But um, I really wanted. I was almost. <laughs> I was almost shouting. I was doing the ironing at the time furiously. <laughs> I was getting <laughs> more and more furious. Scorch marks and all, all your clothes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I, what I wanted to do was to count, was to speak to them and counter what they were saying, because I felt they they went down at this track and didn't come back from it. Right, here's uh, a challenge. And, right here, if they are listening to this, get in touch with me and Sean, and we'll come on and we'll put you straight. Yeah, How's about that? Yeah, yeah I'd, and I'd love can to I, do can that. Can I not come on? Am I not no. allowed to come on? No, of course you can, Ken. <laughs> and it, it, listen, it's a really good po- podcast. Anything but a one. I recommend anybody listen to it. The content is is really first class. Uh, it's all historical wargaming. Uh, but on this one point, I would like to challenge them. Okay. And, and what else were they saying about it? I mean, you know, without going into any insults um, and things. What were the what were the main issues? You said trench you can't fight trench warfare. Can't fight trench warfare. I th- I, I suspect the main thing was that it's Europe centric. Uh and if you want to fight that kind of game then World War Two is so much better because you've got all the toys. There's not so much there's no sexy tanks, for instance, no sexy weapons. I don't know. Have uh, you seen those Mark IV stars? Flaky on ast- <laughs> They're flaky on aspects of tactics 
accepted that 1914 and 1918, you've, you've got the manoeuvre aspects of the war, but, you know, that's probably too close for them. It's too similar, I suppose, to uh, 1940, World War II, uh, Europe. So uh, it, it was basically those tropes that we've already talked about, I think, to suggest that um, it was lines led by donkeys that came out, uh, that saying came out during the talk. And this is honestly, this hasn't slagged them off at all or disparaged them, but it was one of those where you would, I'm sure we've all listened to podcasts where we've really disagreed with what's been said, said, Possibly like you, Ken, which is why he started this over some Stop. big World started War. Started this podcast. <laughs> World War, first World War gun. Um, but uh, you, we've all had that experience where we've been listening to the podcast because we really enjoy it. But just that one particular episode riles you up and you think, yeah, 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 I'd just yeah. like to have a conversation with them to say, look, yeah. just open your eyes, investigate these rules here. Uh, mm-hmm. Look at this figure line. Look at what you ca- can do with a trench game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't change how you feel about a podcast or how good no. their podcasts, podcasts are. It's just, yeah, no. you can have disagreements with people and still enjoy it. And Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's no Twats. nothing wrong with that. Twats. <laughs> <laughs> I don't condone that comment, gents. <laughs> no, no. No, 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 and to be fair, I listen, I listen to that podcast as well. Um, and there there have been episodes where i've had a a similar f- a feeling there was a napoleonic war games rules one which was basically 3 hours of people saying how they hate napoleonic war games rules <laughs> and then <laughs> i never actually going but what i really do like is yeah <laughs> so yeah but then there'll be people who listen to this who go when are they going to talk about wargaming? When is it going to get serious? <laughs> <laughs> 37 minutes in, folks. Not yet. Yeah. I'm still <laughs> licking this car battery. I'm having a great night. <laughs> <laughs> so to be to be relatively serious, then, um, from a from a let's say wow. a, a devil's advocate point of first view, time for everything, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Um, what, he says wearing what, a Bradford what, City shirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I did, I did say Clark Ken had come dressed as a clown earlier. <laughs> How many times oh. can we interrupt Ken before he gets his point out? <laughs> I'm going. I'm going. I'm going to get it's, like, it's like a Henry. It's like a Henry Hyde rant. <laughs> uh, I forgot what I was going to say now. No, I remember. When did it Devil's change? Advocate. When? When? Because you, you, you obviously guys read. I, I'm I'm very re- well read on World War One naval and um, World War One in the East because uh, obviously I had relatives who fought out there, uh, but not so much on the Western Front. Um, so what and when did that mindset start to change? And you know, there's there's no there's no doubt in you know the the, the casualties were high. Um, so what and when did that start to change in in historians' minds and then in people's minds? Um, really, it starts with, well, the historiography of the First World War is best covered by Dan Todman in the Great War uh, Myth and Memory. Mm. Get that book. It's great. It's a really good read. It's his, um, yeah, I think it's his, his PhD thesis turned into a book. Uh, and it's fantastic because it basically goes through each of the decades, pretty much your th- uh, main themes and of how we remember the First World War and how they've shaped 
how we remember the First World War. So it talks about basically about the historiography of the war. And prior to basically 1930 and the, the publication of All Quiet the Western Front, uh, the First World War was seen as a great heroic uh, venture, mm. in particular in Britain I'm talking about here. And it's really, and it is celebrated. Actually, the first couple of armistice days, the 11th of November, are actually massive piss-ups. And it's in the early 1920s. <laughs> yeah. It's true. That in the 1920s, it was a, 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 a high-ranking, I think, priest or a vicar or somebody who basically started to push for the religious side of it. And that's why we now have memor- uh, commemoration rather than the celebration. And that changed relatively early on. But, yeah, the, the old veterans used to get together and just get absolutely hammered at um, the dancers and stuff and, uh, and night pies on the 11th. Uh, awesome. Then in the 20s, it's like, like I say, it's, it's kind of, it's a big, uh, it's seen as a big uh, heroic venture. You know, everybody, you know, they, they played their part in it. Uh, remember at Haig's funeral, 200,000 people lined the, the streets. Wow. wow. When he was buried. 100,000 people lined uh, Rudolph Valentino's. Uh, funeral march, you know that's a massive Hollywood star at the time. You know, I was going to say, so... was he a racing driver? <laughs> <laughs> no, he wasn't. <laughs> uh, but that shows, you know, what what uh, how how the, how much uh, how much people thought of Haig, you know, ten years after the war, even. And then, what happens in the uh, 1930s is, I think it's 1929, is All Quiet is first published as a book. And it becomes an instant bestseller. And then it's turned into a film a couple of years later. Uh, but the thing is, with the All Quiet Western Front, uh, Remark himself spent only a month in active service on the front lines. Mm. And the book is more about his relationship with his mother after the war than the his his... Uh, than than his his wartime experience, but it's obviously seen as just a great anti-war book, you know, because the guy mm. gets killed towards the end of the war. But I spoiled it's... it. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, sorry, spoiler. 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 If you put a spoiler when you're editing it, just put a spoiler uh, message in there. I uh, think I'm a book uh... that's ninety years old. I think we can be forgiven. <laughs> Get away with it. Yes. <laughs> I was shocked. I was shocked when I watched it. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Well, of course, it's a First World War film. Everybody Neither did dies he. in it. They always do. <laughs> uh, yeah, but but do, does anyone say after the war we're going to get married? Because they're the ones that always die, aren't they? Oh yeah, yeah. They pull out the little. <laughs> yeah. They do actually. They does. This guy he gets. He's got a, a poster of a woman that he's, he's seen somewhere, and he's got, and he puts it out, and he and he puts it on the trench in front of him. Then of course he gets shot through the head. You oh, know, it's perfect. oh my god, how many tropes can you ram into this thing? Like, should be keeping a tally, but I would have filled the page up. But and, and that's also that also coincides with the time that uh, Wilfred Owen's books are first published, but they are only is uh, they they're only published in a short run. By some of the other poets of the war, and then they don't they don't gain popularity until the sixties, which is after the Second World War, of course. So people start to look at the the casualties from the Second World War and the casualties from the First World War, completely forgetting that the the casual the, the the first the Second World War, the army was about an eighth of the size of the one in the in the First World War. So the casualties are going to be bigger because you've got more men fighting. And also, the in the First World War, the British Army is in continual contact with the German Army for four years, whereas in the Second World War, it's mainly about two years uh, spread over, you know, 
because yeah. there's there's small campaigns and then then it's later. But so there's a start of a reassessment of you know, and also the fact that Germany by this time had started a second world war and had to that's be beaten just, again. Just... You know, they weren't beaten the first time round; they had to be beaten again. Mm. So people start to question well, what was the point of the first world war. That's where the kind of futility stuff comes into it. Then in the 60s, the countercultural stuff, Alan Clark writes The Donkeys, which coincides with Oh, What a Lovely War, being written oh, by right, yeah, Joan yeah. Littlewood, which has turned into a play and then turned into a uh, into the film, the big famous musical film, which has got some great songs in it, but I mean, it's, mm. it's not historical at all. Uh, but that is very countercultural and it's very, very much of the time of the 60s. But The Donkeys that Alan Clark writes, he actually wrote it. He, he specifically set out to write a bestseller and he got one because it still bloody sells tons now. People mm. still read it. Uh, the, he, the opens with a, a quote from, I think it's Ludendorff, uh, says something like the, the lions led by donkeys, meant to be describing the British army. Ludendorff, whoever, whichever it was, didn't say it. It was meant to be said of the French during the Franco-Prussian War in 1870. And even that is probably bollocks anyway. So Alan Clark made up the 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 quotes that the book is named after. He also had, was it Little Hart, uh, was advising him. And even Little Hart, even though he was a massive Hague, uh, he was anti-Hague because he, he was more about tanks. He was anti-Hague. He, he told Alan Clark to tone it down. And Alan Clark didn't listen to him, and still went ahead and published it and put this book out, and uh, which literally with the specific intention of making a bestseller, which it made him his fortune, and it pushed him on to become uh, a writer. You know that was his first step towards being a writer, and he wrote for the rest of his life. He wrote Barbarossa and things like that, which I read after before knowing about his background with the donkeys, and I wonder how much of that is is bollocks as well, to be <laughs> <Yeah>. honest. <laughs> uh, but then, so those those two things, those things kind of cemented stuff. And the, with the sixties as well, you also get the Wilfred Owen the reemergence, even though he'd been published in the thirties. He's kind of brought back to the fore as well, and Siegfried Sassoon as well. So all that poetry stuff starts to work its way into public consciousness. So you've got the donkeys, you've got the poetry, you've got oh what a lovely war. These things kind of work together. Then AGP Taylor writes. Uh, the illustrated the the first world war in illustrated history which suddenly appears on all the curriculums of all the school kids across the country and this is in about the 60s i think uh mid 60s he is a quaker his family were uh were were against the war during the war they were um uh, what's the word um conscientious objectors pacifists and conscientious objectors so arguably he has a bias his when you read it, it's nonsense because he's just talking about nobody had any strategic ideas, they didn't know what they were doing. This is before any of the official secrets act has allowed any of the uh the the, the, the opening of, of the archives. So, you know, the, these historians at the time are only going off what they can get and it, it's not a great deal. So they're not actually delving into the archives as historians are able to now. Uh, so that kind of cements people's ideas as well about are they it. On a, are they on a hundred year release or what release? I think it's about on? fifty years. I think it's, it's fifty years. Hmm. Uh, so I think he was he was he, he was it wasn't open. And obviously, there's there's a vast amount of archives from hmm. the First World War. There's so much of it. Um, 
you know, unit diaries all the way down to battalion level uh, of every battalion that served. And then you've got all the officers' memoirs and all that stuff. Mm. But he didn't, unfortunately, didn't use any of that as his uh, as his research. So that kind of cements. But then in the 70s, you get John Terrain. This is a, a, a historiography of the First World War for you. I'll do apologise. <laughs> <laughs> you've set me off now. You wound me up. I wound me up. <laughs> up. But then in the 70s, you get John Terrain. He writes The Educated Soldier, which is about Haig. And it's a reassessment of Haig and his standing. And basically, you know, uh, it, it's it's uh, more how we see Haig now or how historians see Haig now uh, as basically, you know, the... the the man that that brought the British army from a hundred thousand men to nine million men and beat the German army in the field in nineteen eighteen, mm. uh, you know, and he kind of he's the start of the revisionist historians. So you could probably argue that revisionist First World War history begins in the seventies. John Terrain, then in the eighties and nineties, you get people like Gary Sheffield and Gordon Corrigan, uh, John Bourne, as already mentioned, uh, Brian Bond. Uh, Peter Liddell, uh, who else we got? P- Peter Simpkins, all these kind of people who are, you know, now very, very reputable First World War historians. They all start looking at those myths and, and deconstructing them and looking in the archives and, and picking out all the stuff that, you know, makes us now, gives us now the, 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 the background that we have from an academic sense of the First World War. So it's, I suppose it's taken, what, nearly 50, 50 years or so to get from John Terrain to where we are now. Yeah from a historical point of view, but yeah. But then the problem is you get things like Blackadder comes along, which is very much based on the 1960s, or oh, what a lovely war, uh, donkeys shite. Yeah, but it, it, would, it, it wouldn't have been anywhere near as funny if it wasn't, though, would it? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be better. <laughs> yeah, if, if, that final, if that final scene was all, them, all of them stood in small groups discussing how great the small unit tactics were and how they were all going to go <laughs> off onto the flank and you do a little bit of machine gun fire and we'll come in there and you throw some... That would have been yeah, it pretty... wouldn't really worked. If it was if it was Blackadder yeah. and the SS one four three, I would have loved it. But uh, unfortunately, training pamphlets aren't uh, aren't a great uh, uh, what's the word uh, uh, source for comedy. Source. I don't yeah. think. Yeah, well, um, we could try. We could try. <laughs> that, could, that could be our summer brews in the binyard. We could do two hours. Making I'll start World the War... script. Yeah, making World War One small unit tactics amusing. Oh, that would be that would be very good. Very good indeed. Well, thank you for that's, that, Alex. It's all right. I think most people have probably gone to sleep by now and uh, turned off, so uh, we'll, we'll, we can we'll say wake, what we want now. We'll wake him up in a minute. We'll wake him <laughs> up in a minute. Uh, and, and, and talking of misunderstood periods, uh, Sean, you, you put something out, um, I can't remember if it was on Twitter or Facebook, talking about Spanish Civil War and, and how that was a or wasn't a mainstream period. Where did, where did that come from? Um. I think we have to go back to Mexico and the Mexican oh, Revolution. Excellent. I was I was saving Sean's Mexican corner till later. But if you... No, no, no. I mean, I, I know um, about as much now as I did the first time we spoke about the Mexican Revolution. So let's stick to the Spanish Civil War. It's going to um, be another short one, folks. <laughs> yes, it will be. Yeah, yeah I'm afraid so. Um, it, it was just a, one of those things that came into my head. And I thought, I wondered what the... The feeling is towards it because it offers 
so much in my eyes the spanish you gained the spanish sub war mm. ken don't yeah, you so you know, you've, you've got your opinion on this but um i'm i'm interested in a lot of civil wars i think civil wars runs throughout my wargaming to be honest i'm always fascinated what it is that causes one country to turn on itself and uh, and fight for whatever cause that is whether it's to overthrow a government or to bring in a new political ideology uh, or religion, in fact. Um, but it, it, for me, it has a lot of the advantages of early First World War, uh, sorry, early Second World War. Um, but with a lot more colour to it, there's a lot of interesting characters. There's a hell of a lot of different factions and groups that you can choose to read up on and see what their motives were, whether it was left wing or right wing. Um, I heard it described uh, recently as the first war that could be said to be between, uh, that would had a definite good and a bad side to it. Now, obviously, that depends on your politics, whether you're a fascist or a communist or anarchist, in fact. But that it, it certainly was the first clash of the ideology between right and left. Um, whether Franco was a, a a fascist is up for debate. I think uh, academics would argue that he didn't start off as a fascist, albeit he took a lot of uh, inspiration from Mussolini and uh, Hitler. Uh, he was probably more of a monarchist, wanting... Um, to bring some of the traditional values back to Spain, but uh, he wasn't really at the centre of things uh, right at the beginning. Certainly when uh, the coup happened in July 1936, it had been planned for a long time, and there were other characters involved around that. But um, that, that clash of these two huge political ideologies, you'd had the Russian Civil War where the left had won convincingly and set up the first communist state and whether or not actually post the Russian civil war that was true communism that that came out of it or it was some bastardized version where Lenin and uh, the uh, the Soviet government uh, adapted the communist ideals to, to, to their own ends and their own gains um, it is another point for debate but certainly there was that communist left uh, that came out of uh, the Russian Revolution. And then 15 years later, 12 years later, you've got the rise of the right wing in Spain that had followed the right wing, the rise of the right in Italy, subsequently Germany, then uh, then in Spain. Um, and not, as well as it being a fight between left and right, Certainly on the left, there was many different ideologies that clashed and probably subsequently led to the failure of, of uh, the Republic, mm. to be honest, uh, in that there was no concerted or joined effort to fight back against the right-wing uh, government, uh, sorry, the right-wing rebels. Uh, if you look at the anarchists at the extreme left of left, who didn't believe in any... Uh, central powers, uh, no police, no government. Uh, they just, it, it was all about having these committees that would uh, decide what 
the laws were for the day, but everybody was to be free, the collectivization of farms, etc. And then you move from that to the communists, and then from there to the socialists, and you're moving further towards the centre, and then you tip over then in, into the right wing with um, uh, the fascist forces. So uh, it's it, it's surprising to me that the Spanish Civil War isn't better known uh, mm. amongst the general hobbyist, I suppose. Uh, okay, it's Spain, and it's, it doesn't involve Britain uh, or Central Europe, but a lot of the... Obviously, Hitler learnt uh, a lot of his tactics or experimented with tactics like the Blitzkrieg uh, during the Spanish Civil War. And you've got the intervention and the proving of the ideas of uh, of those lightning strikes. Um, and the, for me, the political element of it is endlessly fascinating. Why didn't Britain and France come in and support the Republic? Whereas you've got Italy and uh, Germany on Franco's side, why did we refuse to intervene? Why did we not give the Republic the right to purchase arms on the international market? Uh, We denied them that and and really left the the left-wing government, the Republic uh, and the Republican factions to founder and uh, and really die out. very quickly, really, uh, you know, it's the the right wing with the support from Germany and uh, Italy uh, far outweighed any of the support that Stalin threw in uh, with the help he eventually gave to the left. But the, like most periods, it's more than just the soldiers on the ground, isn't it? There's the motives and the um, the tactics, there's the social situation in in Spain at the time. Don't get me wrong, it was unremittingly bleak, the Spanish Civil War, uh, with atrocities behind the lines on both sides, albeit on the right, uh, probably 10 times worse than it was on the left, where the the anarchists uh, committed uh, atrocities there um it, it was bleak it was a bleak time to mm. live in spain and the and lastly the fascinating bit being that that right wing regime lasted until 1975 which is lived history for mm. or uh, yeah. alex are, you were alive in yeah, 75 yeah, yeah. I, was, yeah, I was i was a year old so there you go so uh, I, I certainly re- i certainly remember Babies. the coup att- <laughs> yeah <laughs> i certainly remember the coup attempt in 81 80, 81, where uh, civil guard entered the Spanish parliament and there was an attempt to take over uh, the, the government there. Uh, but And Franco Franco died when I was five. So uh, there was a dictatorial fascist regime ongoing in Spain, the cent- well, where most people have been on holiday at one time or another uh, in my lifetime. So I, I just find that fascinating. Um and I just wonder why it hasn't caught on. There's lots of great figure ranges out there. The Empress miniatures, mm-hmm. I know you've got, Ken. I was watching your video of uh, your video review of your figures the other day. Uh, there's lots of lovely figures out there. There's plenty of rules out there that you can use. Um, and it, it, it's, it's very colourful as well. So it's got everything going for it. It's at this time that Sean was abducted by aliens. The remaining 
part of this first part of the podcast is cobbled together without Sean's input. But don't worry, after a bit of a quick probe, he's back for the second part. It, it it is it is a, a you know the political side of it alone is is really really it's complicated isn't it um and uh, com- very complicated and but what that does it is it opens it up to so many different options for the tabletop in terms of scenario mm. start um to to work on you can buy I'm not going to use the word faction <laughs> please don't I don't like it <laughs> please don't but you you can buy um. You know, you can buy a unit of Carlists or a unit of um, Poom or Militia, and they can fight against various things, and they can have infighting within their own side. You've got these mm. two sides, and then there's infighting within them. And then later on, it coalesces, doesn't it, more into a a, a Republican army than a than than the factions. And, and that first bit, I think, is the bit that most people find interesting, like I do. Um, but what draws me to it is, um, like you, you're you're very into the Civil War, Sean. I'm really into the decision making process that people have to go to war, and I'm not talking about, you know, we're fighting, we Britain, we're fighting the Nazis. Um, go down to your post office, you're joining up. I'm talking about um, Liam Riley, who is in Wexford. And in 1857 decides to go, you know what? I don't like how they're treating the Pope. I'm going to this Rome place, wherever it is, and you can't buy a ticket, you know, you can't get on a plane, and, and I'm going to put my life on the line for something in somewhere that I've never yeah. been to, uh, and I'll probably never yeah, go my, again. Uh, talking about the Spanish Civil War specifically there, my great-uncle fought in the International Brigade. He was a commissar. Yeah, uh, they just recently put a plaque up to him in the um, in the town centre. Uh, and yeah, so I mean, I've read his book. Uh, there's a book about him uh, called Lion of a Man. It's a local publication, so I don't think difficult to get hold of. But yeah, I mean, I, I it's one of those wars that I think I I want to know more about. But having read Homage to Catalonia, I just got so confused about the different. Then they are factions within the left. Uh, you can, I think, you can actually call them factions because they they are they break up into factions, don't they? Like you said, the Poom and the what else is the there's the anarchists, the the the, the Marxists, the Spartacists, and, yeah, and and just trying to remember the different names and what they all are, it's almost impossible. So yeah, I'd like to know more about it. Uh, just as a, an aside, a friend of mine is big into the Spanish Civil War. We played a couple of games of it. We played World of Flame by Osprey, but didn't really get on with it. But as part of the uh, mm. the uh, the event deck, he actually put my great uncle in there as a, uh, and, and I didn't know it was coming up when I, when the card came up. It was hey, there's Tommy James, brilliant. <laughs> and that's as much as I know about the Spanish Civil War, at least. But there we go, there we go. So moving on, we've done an hour and five minutes, and we've not even finished the first. It's turning into another Henry Hyde. This is so quickly, Sean. Uh, sorry, not Sean. Alex, you did a Bill Hooks review. Did you get? As much slagging off as I did, or did you? Just have nice uh, people? I had quite nice people actually, Ken. I know you you um, you came up against it. But I think that you'd obviously already uh, you'd already uh, taken their ire and their uh, their rage. Um, 
I can't remember what you said about it. What you were negative about? Uh, I think you were you. I wasn't. I give it. I give it eight. eight I give it. I give it eight out of ten. Which, which, as you will know, living in Yorkshire, eight out of ten is the equivalent to a gold medal. Well, platinum actually. You you don't give eight out of ten in your. You normally get. It's all right. It's all right. Not bad. It's all right. It's all right. I mean, I thought it was. Yeah, I thought it was. It looked like a fun game. Looked like something I'd 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 be happy to play. I'm not going to collect any figures for it. Uh, I'd, they they just got in touch with me and just said, "Do you want to review it?" I said, "All right, I'll have a look." Yeah, same uh, with and, me. And that was really. I, I did. I did say you do realise that I will review it, <laughs> um, but they, st- well, they still still sent it anyway. My my big problem with it is is that it's trying to shoehorn the Italian wars. Yeah, I know you said that before. You you weren't happy it, about it. It yeah. doesn't. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You're not. You're not relegating my favourite period <laughs> to 10 pages of a supplement and a set of rules. In fact, what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do is I'm going to write a, 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 an Italian war set of rules, 300 pages, full cover gloss, <laughs> and I'm going to do half a page in the back for the Wars of the Roses and go, yeah, you can play Wars of the Roses with this. But I think Sean has, mar- has appointed something there. A lot of war gamers uh, like... I like a, a a small amount of history, and it's more about the game. Yeah, uh, you know, and that's that. I think that's the thing, and that's probably what they're going for with that. You know, like they, it was a it's a way of people being able to play these different different periods. This is to be fair to you know the writers of uh, of Bill Hooks, and uh, I've got no dog in the fight at all. But I understand it. if they'd done it to the First World War, I would be upset. I mean, Blood and Valor. You know, I I reviewed that, and it was. It's, it's it's Warhammer with a, a First World War skin over the top of it. You know, it's there's there's no history in it. It's a game that is a First World War feel. Commercially, it's a, it's a, it's a great idea, mm. and it's an yeah, obvious yeah, idea for, for for Bill Hooks because it looks similar. Um, but then you know, I'm seeing in I'm seeing Italian Wars armies now with. Twelve figure pipe blocks and that—that's obsessing I, I, you, isn't know, it? My me, me, me nervous twitch comes back, and, uh, and, I, and then oh, I've, I've got this—I've got this Italian Wars army with these longbows and um, no, right. Anyway, um, there's a, there'll be a chance to comment at the end, and once we've done the awards show, I'll tell you why. So we'll just finish off then. We'll just finish off this section. Sean's Mexican corner. <laughs> he gets a Mexican corner. Oh. He gets a he gets an entire oh, corner amazing. to himself. Um, so Sean, come on, you must be out of at least one new fact about the Mexican <laughs> Revolution. He's getting his glasses on. Unfortunately, and quite amusingly, we will never know. What Sean's amazing fact about the Mexican Revolution was, because as we know, he is uh, currently aboard the mothership, uh, being interrogated. Uh, so um, maybe next time we'll find out what Sean said. Right, we'll take a short break, ladies and gentlemen. If you're still alive and still with us, good luck for the next. Good luck for the next bit. Hello everyone, this is Martin from the Channel 7th Sun from episodes 26 and 
27 of the Yorkshire Gamers Reap Big War Games podcast. Season's greetings to you all. I hope you have a fantastic Christmas and that you all get plenty of hobby goodness and also that none of your wet palettes freeze in this weather. Be sure to check out the rest of Yorkshire Gamers podcast and also to pop over to the Seventh Sun channel where there'll be plenty of Christmas gaming. Anyway, I'm going to go back and find myself a nice cup of Yorkshire tea. Hello, this is Simon Miller of To The Strongest Fame from episodes 22 and 33 of the Yorkshire Gamers Reet Big War Games podcast. I'd like to wish you and yours a very gritty Christmas and I hope that Santa will fill your stockings up with bases just so long as they aren't sabots. I also hope we all enjoy a more prosperous 2023 with lots of great gaming and that none of our cards are aces. Happy Christmas all you Yorkshire gamers. This is Jerry Elliott with my team and this is a proper war game all in 10 mil. So have a happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. <laughs> Well, you'll, you'll be glad to know. You'll be glad to know that Sean told a joke and um, it didn't record, uh, which is probably this is the is last time I'm ever doing this. <laughs> which is which, which is probably probably good for all of us. But there we go. Anyway, um, Bernard Bern Manning will be appearing. <laughs> it was it was joke in the loosest sense of the term, wasn't it? <laughs> oh dear! Shall we right. put it to the audience? So, <laughs> Shall we put it to the audience? <laughs> Have you got a tumbleweed? No, go on, tell it. Tell it. Go on. Why did the, why <laughs> why did the Mexican push his wife off the cliff? Tequila. <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> so wargaming, yeah. Wargaming, right? Okay. That's my uh, little turned on for the year. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Uh, shortly appearing at Stoke, uh, Burslem Working Men's Club. It's a tough crowd in there, mate. I tell you. <laughs> with with Irene, will be doing hits of the eighties on a stylophone. Ravon's in there. Uh, <laughs> I don't think. I don't think. I don't. I don't think you've lived unless you've seen a show at a, a Northern Working Men's Club. No, it's true. It's true. A turn. A turn. A turn. Yeah. You watch Phoenix Nights and all the people oh, down yeah. south are going, this is unreal, this is so funny. And it's everyone up here going, this documentary. It's on the wall. <laughs> 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 oh, dear. Right, part two. Part two, there is there is structure to this. Even with you, even with you two, there's structure. <laughs> uh, and this is the bit where we review the Room 101 entrants that have come in since the last time that we were on, um, to give them the final seal of approval uh, from my illustrious panel. And um, the the first one, after we lasted our summer uh, brews in the Brinyard, uh, was Carlo Pagano from Australia. We talked about his uh, Sands of Sudan rules. And he put in dice with hard-to-read faces. Mm. I would slam the door that. shut Big thumbs on up. Room 101. No, oh, no, with the dice inside the room. Yeah, they, they are the <laughs> devil's quite... work. I, yeah, I'd go as far as to say that I don't actually like engraved dice either. Ooh. Ooh. Especially if the, the names it's... on. Yeah. Like PCP and what have you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't use them. 
And I understand why people, you know, there's lots of them out there. I've, I actually made some Storm of Steel ones as a competition giveaway a while back. Uh, but I don't like using them. I don't like other people using them, I think I should say, because you don't know if it's a one or a six, if it's there somebody else's set of dice. And you, you're wondering, you're like, you know, when the, the numbers come up or the, the thing comes up, you think, is that a one or is it a six? Have they passed? Have I, well, they're, they're bad enough. Done? They're bad enough, but there are dice with almost different symbols on every face. Games Workshop famously produced dice that, I don't know, it's worth more than gold, I think, the, the, their dice. Um, but every single face has got a symbol on it that you have no way of telling what the hell has been rolled. They, they are shocking. What do you mean? So, yeah. so it matches something in the book? Yeah, it's so, like a like a, a circle or a square or something, and it means yeah, something in a So on the for the one, for instance, there'll be a, a symbol for a, a Space Marine chapter in in one corner, and then lots of squirrely, squirrely, scrolly stuff on the rest of the face, and then the two is similar, but right. all over the place. They are disgusting. They deserve their place in Room One Hundred One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we've that, we've we? we've had um, we've had people with Roman numerals, which isn't too bad. Yeah. Um, we've had people um, with hieroglyphics on them. These um, these games isn't like Sagas one, isn't it? Where you have each. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to say that word again. Faction <laughs> has um, a dice with different That's symbols right. on it. That yeah, you... they have a, a set I, of I'm dice, not, don't they? Yeah, yeah, I'm not too bad with that because. You're using it specifically for that rule set, um, and you're not trying to get what you're not trying to fool your opponent, which is one of which yeah, is six. In that one, you're, you're matching them to the battle board thing, aren't you? I don't yeah, like. I'm not yeah. a particular fan of Saga, but yes, I see how they work in that compared to yeah, when somebody just tips up with a load of weird dice and they're like, oh well, you know, I know what the number is. Oh, that's a six. Yeah, but it wasn't the six <laughs> last time. Yeah. Ah well. Yeah. I mean, with with twenty with twenty figures aside, Saga didn't make it past the. Vaguely interesting <laughs> at this point. The Yelchi yeah. uh, I thought yeah. it was a little Sorry. overcomplicated for itself. It was trying to do yeah. too many things at once. Anyway, we, we've slagged enough rule sets off today. Yeah, to, yes, uh, yeah. We're being positive tonight, aren't we? Remember? We are. We are. So, uh, <laughs> Carlo, yours has uh, been yes. confirmed, young man. And oh, this one got me. This one got me. Sending a shiver up mm. your spine. Yeah, the next one, uh, Giles Allison, who came on the podcast to talk about uh, his wonderful uh, American War of Independence stuff, um, and he put in unpainted flag edges. Uh, I agree, actually. Yeah, I agree because it stands I, out, doesn't it? Does and, it my, and it's a very simple fix. Simple, yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah. like edges of bases as well, isn't hard. it? If you don't pay, MDF is usually oh, okay. Yeah. Actually, you get away with it, but you if you're using get away with card it, it? Yeah. or plastic card, and you've got that white edge, it yeah, really yeah, yeah. does my bonkers in. But yeah, flag. You've done all everything yeah. else. Yes, just that last yeah. little bit. Yeah, and it takes five minutes, and it doesn't even have to be exact the same shade as long yeah. as you've just got rid of that white white stripe yeah. for the top. That's all you need. Yeah, yeah I've seen I've seen what I would consider to be award-winning units figures, amazing bases, beautiful painting, um, you know, set out nicely, looks like a diorama, and there's this big red arrow pointing to an unpainted flag edge, and that's all I can see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All I can see. I pick up on but, it. 
immediately exactly. as well. Yeah. Yeah, you just want to stamp on the figures, don't you? <laughs> well, maybe that's a little bit harsh, <laughs> Alex, but... <laughs> Got oh, yeah, sorry, we're positive about gaming hobby. Yeah, <laughs> no, solo gaming. Solo. We've uh... <laughs> <laughs> got loads of weird dice. After this, it'll just be us three anyway. So, uh... <laughs> yeah, nobody will ever wants to play with any of us. Yeah. We'll have a, a, a bruise in the convention, bruise in the binyard convention, and we'll hold it on a table in Starbucks. <laughs> With 28 mil, 15 mil, and 6 mil figures. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear me. The next uh, entry is from uh, my mate Chris Flowers. Uh, We talked about his uh, wonderful, massive Napoleonic games and going around the shows with sods. Um, And he put in, and I don't think, again, we can argue with this one, rules without an index. Mm. Yep, yep. It's a cardinal sin. Ooh, Sean's, Sean's I will say that Sean's episode was great. I love that episode. Chris uh, sounded like a really interesting guy. Yeah, he's a great guy. Really great well. guy. Um, but, but, <laughs> but you know what? here comes the but. Here's the but. You're butting him up, but getting him butted you, up, and then it's the big but. Have, you've got to have draw the line somewhere, haven't you? Because otherwise, you put everything into room 101. And for me. Yes, obviously, I like an index, but I, I can't forgive. I can't forgive not having an index. So I want to re- leave room for the really important stuff in room 101. I don't want to fill it with everything, yeah. Do you? Yeah. All right, that's, yeah. I think that's a fair argument. And I'll, It's not a game changer. I won't chuck a, yeah. a, a set of rules in the bin. I think nowadays with, with publishing software, an index is relatively easy to make because you've got programs that do it for you. So why they don't have them, I don't know. But, yeah, it, it is frustrating. But yeah. So as someone who spent half an hour trying to find something in uh, I'll after Charge, that. which are otherwise <laughs> an, an, an extremely good set of rules, it's like, it's like, where the fuck have you put this bit? <laughs> I have to say that the, that is really good. But my, you know, one of the one of my favourite set of rules, Furioso for the Italian Wars. It's like it's been published in a blender. <laughs> <laughs> it's just bits of it. Have everywhere. They just throw the pages on the floor and then randomly put them together, put it all together, bound it up, <laughs> sent it out. That'll, That'll do. do. <laughs> Done. <laughs> <laughs> I, want, I once watched a documentary about David Bowie um, and uh, there was a phase that he went through where he would um, print out a load of words and then cut them up into individual words and then he would put them together um, based on the syllables to make lyrics to fit in with a song. So they're not necessarily telling a story. He, they're fitting the pattern of the song and i'm pretty sure that that's how those rules were were put together it's like uh william burroughs isn't it where he wrote about three three stories and cuts them up and and put them together yeah. as naked lunch yes the that's, pro- that's probably where bowie's got it that's probably where yeah, bowie's most, got the idea of course from. bowie got it from somebody else he didn't invent you're, anything you're not, you're not saying that he's oh oh god we are in trouble now <laughs> There you go, that's half the audience alienated. Oh, dear me. Anyway, quickly moving on. <laughs> quickly moving on. Yeah, could uh, do two hours so... on what I think about David Bowie if you wanted. No, you're all right. You're all right. Thank you. Thank you. 
Dear me. Uh, right. Was he not a revisionist World War One? No, he still really well wasn't. Was it? Was it? Was it that al- that album, Death and Destruction at Passchendaele, <laughs> nineteen sixteen? His yeah. collaboration with Motorhead. Yeah, that, that, that tipped it for you. That tipped it for you. Anyway, roughly moving on. We've still got viewers. Um, <laughs> Nick Skinner came on for the catch-up episode, and because he hadn't done one, I gave him the opportunity of shoving something into Room 101. And um, he came, he came up with, and he did do, I bless him, he did do quite a decent rant on it. Um, a war gamers leaving Twitter because of Elon Musk. <laughs> I, I heard this one, yes, and I, I, I quite enjoyed it. To be fair, because <laughs> let's let's face it, Twitter was not. A garden of paradise before he took over, was it really? No, but I, I just before we came to record this tonight, I uh, there's a massive uptick in in right wing nut jobs who were trying to, who were starting to follow me on. Uh, I've on had Twitter that as well in the last couple of weeks, and oh, you look at word. their profile, yeah, and it's all like second Second Amendment uh, forever, you know, proud patriot. Proud conservative, and it's all you know, uh, MAGA people from from America, and it's and uh, and I don't know why they just suddenly started following me. And you've had th- the same as well. Yeah. Kat. I th- I thought it was something to do with my um, People's Republic of West Yorkshire uh, <laughs> posts, um, but that that's kind of a left wing thing, isn't it? People's Republic. Of. Yeah, I would have thought so. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they, maybe they're coming on to change me into a rabid right wing Christian and. Maybe, maybe. Who yeah. knows? Who knows? Maybe I don't I mean, know. Maybe. It's... I'm, I'm, but but you've kind of put my mind at rest there, um, because it's not just me. Yes, um, I well, I asked on Twitter just before we started, and, mm. and I was checking just now, and uh, and a lot of people are saying, yeah, same thing. They're all getting it as well. Oh, Sean, have you had? Um... You, you've just reminded me because I've got tons of requests here that I haven't answered to follow me. Yeah. Of weird. Are oh, you looking now? I'm looking at them, and they're very weird. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what's going on. It's not. It's not all um, ladies from Eastern Europe promising me a, a life of happiness. Uh, there's. Uh, there's a very odd. I've got a whole page of of uh, requests to follow me because uh, I've got my mm. uh, setting. My privacy settings set fairly high, so it comes through as a message. Uh, okay, so they have to request yeah, to follow you. Yeah, then. I don't okay. accept anybody. Well, that's. That's a bit. That's yeah. a bit James Bond Secret Service, isn't it? I didn't know it you is. Could do it that. is. It's like those burner accounts. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's 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 very on the on the Twitter thing though. Uh, with Nick, it, it, about was it about two weeks ago? We all thought Twitter was going to blow up, and we were going yes. over to Mastite, Mastodon. Uh, sorry, Mastodon. Sorry. <laughs> there's another one that i'm glad you didn't use to be fair yeah <laughs> yeah have to be very careful though. um to mastodon yeah. um but it, it's yes. it's not happened as it's not um it's it no they, it's they, not transpired has it so i think the war games corner that we populate uh has remained fairly steady other than this, this yeah. odd infiltration from right wingers uh, wanting to follow you, I think generally. So yeah, the the people who sort of jumped ship uh, very early doors and, and left Twitter, I think maybe may have been a tad premature. It's it, we've we've it's gone from 
one group of extremely rich people with a political view to another group of extremely rich people with another political view, none of which is relevant for what we use Twitter for. And it's not it's mm. not affecting my experience on Twitter one jot. No, same here. Same no, here. so far, yeah. Apart from like I said, the last couple of uh, last couple of days, really. A couple of weeks, I would have thought. Yeah, these strange uh, follow requests that have just started Sunday come up, you know. But apart from that, yeah, yeah. No I mean, if, if, if they want to follow the podcast and and um, send me loads of money on Patreon, bring them in. <laughs> Support any cause. Open door policy there, isn't it? <laughs> send me money. Send me money. Anyway, so there we go. Uh, are you happy for yes. that to go in, boys? I am. Yeah, yeah, it can guess it can go. And and the final one um from Rohan Saravadamutu, who did the Leipzig book. Um and um his was and it all oh, grinds my teeth, this does grinds my teeth. Players who don't read briefings. I tell you, I, I said it on that podcast and I'll say it again now, just in case people didn't listen. But I've done spent ages setting a setting a game up, scenario briefings, everything, little bit of a clue in some of the briefings on maybe a way of uh, World War One, And they, they did do the lines led by donkeys, unfortunately, because they just charged up across open ground <laughs> towards um, tr- a trench line and all got slaughtered and then went, it's not a very good game, this, is it? <laughs> so I, didn't, I didn't really like it. It wasn't very good. And it was like... Did you read that bit in the briefing about <laughs> going round the open flank and, and causing the uh, British to leave the trenches? It was a briefing. You, put, you did a briefing. When was that? You know that briefing there where we had at the start when you were playing on your phone? <laughs> so, yeah, this is so this is so far in the vault. It's heading towards the centre of the earth. Do you know what? On, on, on that similar note, and I, I do feel your pain because I have prepared briefings uh, for games where I know people, have, the players have taken no interest whatsoever. <laughs> doesn't matter how, I, how I've presented it or tried to um, drum up the excitement for the battle. Um, it's very difficult to engage people. They just want to roll dice and push toy soldiers around. But on that note about you said about on the mobile phone, that is a real bugbear mm. of mine, where if you're playing a game and then halfway through the turn, somebody just gets the phone and starts messing about, ban phones from the war games table and podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> What, what were you saying, Sean? Sorry, I wasn't listening. Um, so, obviously, if, you, if you're expecting an emergency call or, you know, important work call or whatever, leave it on silent and answer it if something comes through. But don't check your eBay listings. Don't, you know, don't post on Twitter. Don't text your mistress. No. Your new right-wing followers. <laughs> or your new right-wing followers. That really sticks I feel bad because I was just doing that in the, in the, in the break. <laughs> no, that... But not on the, the breaks, all right. Not the breaks, the war games yeah. table, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, I, well, I, I don't write briefings anymore because my mate deliberately ignores them, and I think, to be honest, I think it's a little bit ignorant because if somebody spent some time to sit down and write something, at least read it once. Yeah, you know, even if it, even if you don't follow it, even if you don't understand it, you know, just just humour them. You do need you do need to start. You know, 
fucking him up now, though, don't you? Now you know he's not reading the briefing. <laughs> Do a briefing and then just lead him down this road of instant death. And then when you get that, it's a, sh- it's a oh. shit game, this. It's a shit game. <laughs> well, should have read your briefing. <laughs> yeah, read your briefing, you bastards. So another successful group of um, uh, items into the War Games vault. I do apologise. I've got to just check my phone now because my wife has just texted me. So I've got to reply to that. I apologise right now. <laughs> What's more important, us or your wife? Come on. <laughs> I'll tell you. Yeah, said please that. do. Send her my love. <laughs> unless, unless she's putting something into room one hundred and one, she can do one. Uh, probably most of my wargaming equipment. Yeah. To be perfectly honest, <laughs> she'd be happy with that. Excellent. Well, I, I'm 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 currently persona non grata at the moment because um, I've taken over the kitchen table as a as a um an airbrushing area for my ships uh, um and and whilst mrs riley's been immobile following her accident i've got away with it but um she's starting she, to notice now is she she's now starting to be mobile and going into the kitchen and saying things like what's this pile of shit still doing here <laughs> So I may I may have been rumbled. I don't I don't know whether she's I don't know whether she's seen it yet, but I think she might have rumbled what I'm up to. Brilliant, brilliant. Anyway, so um since you boys were last on, um I have expanded the feature section, uh, which is going to get bigger and bigger all the time, with the Desert Island war game. Um, and each of my guests uh, get to choose three things. And a, a little bit of homage here to uh, Sean's, uh, Sean's God's Own Scale la- Library. Um, so, Alex, we'll go, for, we'll go in the order that I always introduce you, which is alphabetical. Um, and uh, Desert Island War Games, Alex. You've got one game that you can take onto your desert islands with no restriction to size or scale or anything. What would you take? <laughs> right on this one, I'm going to go left field, Ooh. and 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 we're allowed to have everything and all of it, yes, all together. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm going to take the entire collection of the Arkham Horror Living Card Game and any other releases that will just get washed up on the beach oh. from here to eternity. Like because... a message in a bottle with a pack of cards. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Uh, and, you know, like every few months, uh, another message in a bottle with a big box full of cards. On oh, Peter I can feel Sting's contacting David Bowie now <laughs> by, via Don't the medium. Sting as well! Oh, my God! Oh, <laughs> oh okay. that's, a, that's a collaboration. Sting and David Bowie from the grave. Oh singing God. about oh God. Arkham cards. I would a, I would walk anyway. into the sea, happily walk into the sea if that was happening on my desert island. We're getting a lot of David <laughs> Bowie at the minutes, aren't we? We've been Crosby and Ropper Pom Pom and all that bait game. So. Oh, is that coming oh, on? Is that back? Is Thankfully, that back? I've no, not noticed it. Uh, but <laughs> back to uh, gaming, I suppose, more of the war gaming. Is, the reason I'm not taking war games is because I get to play those a lot, whereas yeah. this, Arkham Horror... I have this fear of it because it's so big and so overwhelming that I never can really sit down and just go through all the cards and create decks and things uh, because there is, there's thousands of cards. And I love the game. It's such a brilliant game. But I always feel as though I don't have enough time to sit down and go through it and understand it properly and play it properly. Whereas if I was sat on a desert island and got nothing else to do, I'd have to do it, you know, because I've got nothing else to do, basically. Whereas, it, yeah. 
like now just creating a deck is a, is a difficult thing. It's like you're put together 30 cards out of, you know, a thousand cards. And how do I know what all of those cards do and what the combinations are? Whereas mm. if I'm a sat on a desert island, I can sit down and I can work them out. So that's why I would take that, I think. That would yeah. be my answer. And then and then some seabird comes along and nicks the one card that you really yeah, want. Or, or does a crap on it or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd have to fashion another one out of a palm leaf or something, wouldn't I? But then I'll see yeah. when it comes up, you know, in the deck. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I wonder what that one is. <laughs> it's um it's uh I, I quite enjoy that game actually. I've got have just you the played basics. It? Uh, yeah, I've just got the basic set. Um and uh, one expansion, and um, which expansion have you got? The Dunwich, Dunwich Legacy. No, I can't remember what it's called because I've not played it yet. But I've only, oh, yeah. I've only played. It's a scenario pack. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, I, yeah, really enjoyed it. With um, but you, you know what I mean, though, don't you, Ken? Yeah. When you talk about this, yeah. it's overwhelming the amount because the amount of cards because they all do different things. Yeah. So each well, card there's, is there's individual. There's a set. There's, there's, there's like a, a set deck in the introduction, isn't there? That's right. Where they make a deck for you, and yeah, yeah, that's as far as Ken's got. He likes likes the deck that's already made for him. I mean, the deck building option is fantastic, and you've got got so many, but that's the problem because you've got so many of these uh, different solutions to to a problem that you you don't know which one to go down. So, yeah, I'd just like to sit and and work my way through it. So that's why I'd like that. That would be mine, please. Awesome. Sean, what would you go for your your war game that you would take? Well, it wouldn't be a board game. Um, a, a good friend of mine from many, many years ago said of, of that category of ga- game, never was a style of game more aptly named as in board. Because <laughs> 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 they, they, they do nothing for me at all. <laughs> uh, they do send me to sleep a little bit. Um, you played the wrong ones. Yeah, I think I probably have. It's not, be- it's snakes, it's beyond snakes and ladders uh, these days, okay. you know. A monopoly. It's not just about rolling a six. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, the, the Arkham Horror does interest me because I love the Cthulhu, I love the Cthulhu <laughs> thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I've got Zombie Side, but uh, yeah, above that, not much else. Um, my, <laughs> uh, I think, given this unlimited time on. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before you go on, you know, while you while we were talking earlier about getting on that podcast, well, I'm going to give you a... You can come to my house and we'll play some board games. We'll have a board game day board and game I'll day. change your mind on it. <laughs> if you if you uh, put Arkham right, Horror on, then definitely I'll take you up on that, yeah. yeah. All right. All right. It's, it's, something, it's something that I've come to recently because I've never really been into board games. Um, but as a family we've never been into figure games but we've just started playing board games maybe a couple of years ago um and pandemic which i know is a is a classic Brilliant. and obviously uh, very topical um <laughs> we, we quite enjoy that one and then there's one called black orchestra i don't know whether you've got that one alex uh, no i know i've got i've not heard of it is it the one yeah. um, about the spies in in nazi germany yeah and you were all plotting to assassinate hitler that's right, yeah. Oh, what a game. It's so simple to do, but so complex in it, in its mechanisms. And yeah. always, always a um on the edge of your seat thing at the end of it. We normally yeah. we normally shorten the war by about twenty seconds. Uh, we're not particularly, we're not particularly good at it. So sorry, Sean. I, I interrupted well, no, there. No, this this is how much I'm into board games. I bought a board game on very good recommendation about 10 years ago and I've never opened it but the premise the premise <laughs> of it sounds really interesting and 
Which it's... one was it? Staffordshire Monopoly. <laughs> Stoke on Trent <laughs> version of Monopoly. Everything was a five or, a, or an under, five pounds or under. <laughs> uh, no, it was called uh, something like Killer Baby Orphanage. And you go back in time and you, and you try and kill kill the Hitler or Stalin or some horrible person oh, from okay. history as a baby. But the idea of killing a baby, regardless of who they, who they are, I mean, right, maybe yeah. crossing the line there. Yeah. But I think that's what yeah. it's called, Killer, it's that called- Killer Baby Orphanage, something like that. I thought it was on my shelf here. Bestseller. top Time's top ten bestseller list. Yes. So, um, uh, the unlimited time, unlimited resources, everything I want on a desert island. I'm not going to say American Civil War. That would have been very tempting, but um, yeah. um, I, I, that's a route I, I probably ordinarily would go down. But I think I choose something that I will probably never do in my lifetime, but would have. Mm. I've got sort of a little. A, a, a soupçon of of uh, of an idea to do it, but I, I probably will never do it. Um, yeah. And that is Austerlitz, uh, but using uh, connoisseur elite figures, Ooh. those sort of that sort of, Ooh. and the big battalions, the Grand Manor battalions, thirty-six figure battalions, on a sculpted terrain with the snow. Uh, the lake on it, the um, uh, was it a convent or a monastery? I can't quite remember. Uh, but all the iconic bits of it, very much as mm. uh, you, I don't know if you've ever seen it or played it at the War Games Holiday Centre, Ken. Mm. But those pictures yeah, yeah. that you would see in the early issues of miniature War Games and then uh, War Games Illustrated to a lesser extent, but certainly very early issues of mm. uh, miniature War Games when Duncan McFarlane was still running it and using a lot of the Peter Gilder pictures. Um, that would be my ideal, I think, uh, because I, I know that I'll never yeah. get a chance to do that. Um, but mm. that's what I would, in my mind, that would be what I would take. And it would be really old school, so there'd be no flock on any bases. It would oh. be painted sword, <laughs> goblin sawdust green. or goblin green, yeah. Oh. Um, <laughs> pretty much like you would see on the old Battleground programme, uh, the, the uh, yeah. Edward Woodward thing. Um, with that huge 12 by 6 or 16 by 6, whatever it was, with bounce sticks, with the <laughs> Kotanga canister things. Oh, um, super. Or the whole super. gamut of it. You know, the, I'm sure you've <laughs> both seen the Bruce Quarry book, Napoleonic Campaigns in Miniature. Yeah. Yes. Some of the pictures yeah, yeah, yeah. in there are just, I've, I can remember looking at those and, and drooling when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> and never never got around. To, yeah, Same, yeah. A, a lot yeah. of them are minifigs, yeah. aren't they? And Hinchcliffe figures uh, back yeah, then. Yeah, but yeah, they were just so iconic for me, some of those pictures in, in, that, in, that, uh, yeah. in that book. So I think that's what I'd have. Although I'd be on a desert island, I'd want a frosty landscape of Austerlitz <laughs> uh, with the three emperors. Just to, uh, Psychologically, psychologically, yes, cool you yeah. down. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Um, the next thing, obviously, uh, you'll be taking a religious book. I know, I know, I know both of you will. Henry um, Hyde's ca- your, War Games uh, Campaigns, you mean? Yes, they, yeah, 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 that's one. The book of the word, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's surely to be updated with his latest mud lab. <laughs> Um, to be fair, it's so long you're probably not finishing by the time you were rescued anyway. Or dead. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or <Yeah>. dead. <laughs> so, somebody, somebody would turn up um, on the island like 80 years later and find your skeleton, and there'll be a bookmarking page 823. <laughs> <laughs> One page away from finishing it. <laughs> So, Alex, what book would you go for, mate? Oh, God. What book? That's a hard one. I I think it would have to be something like maybe the Wargaming Companion or the the, the campaigns one, as as yours just said, just because of the length of it. It would keep you going for a long time, wouldn't it? Uh, And I can't think of anything else that I want as a book that I'd want with me. So often, maybe I don't know. Cash twenty two. I reread that every few years. Yeah. So maybe go back to Cash twenty two, and that's long enough to keep you interested for a long time. And it's and it's funny from beginning to end, and tragic, and and everything. You know, it's 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 a great book. So either yeah, either uh, the Wargaming Companion Companion uh, by Henry Hyde, uh, doubled up with the uh, with the campaigns book, just yeah. because then, you know, even if even if I don't read it, I've got something to sit on. Uh, and then, uh, or then uh, catch twenty two. I think, yeah, I think they'd be the ones. Brilliant. That's a good. That's a good idea, actually. If you join the compendium with the war games um, uh, campaign one as like a double edition, uh-huh. that would It'd be, be like a, it's a, as big that. as a stool, isn't it? Basically, <laughs> yeah. so you can literally sit on that. You know, yeah. I probably, I probably be able to reach my my feet to the floor sitting on it. You know. It's, that high, so yeah, it'd be, and you uh, could use them as a weapon. Basking the sun, and could use them as a weapon if any. Yeah, you know. in case any, any leopards yeah. or whatever's on the island with you. Yeah. You could probably lay the pages out as a bridge uh-huh. and, and reach a the nearest landmass. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's another good point. Yeah, so it's yeah. very practical if nothing else. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, if anyone out there is 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 good at maths and can work out how far. If you put the pages of Henry's two books end to end, how far would they reach? I think that's I think that's a reasonable challenge for our audience. At least halfway around the world, isn't it? At least, yeah, at least halfway. At least, yeah. We we need we need um, your answers, please, in distance around the world and also distance to the moon. Those are the two two that we're going to go for. Uh, So, Sean, what's your book, mate? What would you go for? That's a really tricky one. I'm a real bibliophile and I'm just looking for inspiration uh, around me. Um, I think there's probably uh, two or three... Reader's Wives, 1982, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, the Beano, obviously. Razzle. Razzle. (laughs) I'm trying to keep this culture, Beano or the Dandy. Um, I've actually, over the other side of the screen, I've got the uh, issue of the uh, Dandy, the Beano on the day I was born. Interesting fact. Oh, well, only oh, interesting to me, oh. clearly. But um, so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, a book. Um, oh, it's, a, it's such a tough one. I I just love books. Um, I think probably this would have to be American Civil War one, and we're probably if I couldn't take the the set of the trilogy, then I'd have to take the first book by Shelby Foote and his Civil War trilogy, mm. um, which is sorry was the basis for the ken burns civil war documentary uh shelby Mm foot featured heavily in that now um it's a little bit outdated in its 
thinking. Um, there's definitely a little bit of lost course cause mythology within mm. Shelby Foote's writing. He, he was a southerner. He, he idolised Nathan Bedford Forrest, who went on to form the Ku Klux Klan. Um, but uh, I, I would take that because it's just so beautifully written. It's He, he was a journalist by profession. Um, very much like Cornelius Ryan's Bridge Too Far is a very readable account of uh, um, Arnhem, albeit now dated and, and a few bits mm-hmm. uh, are questioned and uh, the accuracy is, is perhaps not up to scratch. It's very readable, almost like a, a novel. Uh, and that's the same with Shelby Foote's uh, Civil War. So if I can't take all three, I'll just take the first one. Oh, good choice, good choice. There was a there's there's a book a uh, set of books. I've got them next door. I think it was Great Battles and Leaders of the American mm, Civil War. It's four volumes, um, isn't it? seven volumes. Oh, seven. I think seven, well, seven. Yeah. Volumes. It might be four. Yeah. I don't know. Um, it, it's a bit like um, Chandler's Campaigns of Napoleon in that it's one of those books that you never read, but you're gonna you you go, you're gonna go. I'm gonna do this battle. Let's have a look what it yeah. says in in there about it. Yeah, and yeah, it was yeah. relative. It's a reference. It's a it reference. is a reference, yeah. and most of it was relatively contemporaneous. It was certainly written two or three decades after the war, so it was written by people who were yeah. who were there. Um, so the the vast majority of it, anyway. Um, mm. So it's and the numbers are very accurate for the battles, and the maps are great. It's a, it's a great set that is, yeah. Excellent. And finally, we'll go back to Alex for the one war game unit that you want to take. It could be yours, it could be somebody else's. I'm not encouraging people to steal, obviously. Um, but uh, an iconic unit or a unit that means something special to you? What a kind of question is that? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you had I thought you had that famous sergeant of yours that you... You'd oh, yes. Old, got, old Thompson who, got, yeah, got clobbered who, in Malaya. Oh, yeah. he's dead, man. He's gone. He's gone. Well, moved on, no. moved on from forget him. him. Forget him. Yeah, forget Toss that him out guy. Of the window. Not, not known for your sentimentality <laughs> yeah. up in Yorkshire, are you? No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, because I think uh, 2023 is going to be the year of the First World War for me. For and me. And you as well, as well, Ken. Yeah, you're, you're on board. Hopefully you are as well, Sean. Good stuff. Um, I would, I would probably then take a British platoon from 1917. I think, uh, and that that would be my my unit that I would like to to replay games with. But I'd, I'd find it hard to play because I wouldn't have anything else with me, would I? I'd only have those, and then a load of Arkham Horror cards and Henry's books, and that's that'd be it. So I'd have, I'd be able to look at them. It's not my fault you've you've not coordinated your choices, is it? You should have thought about this. Yeah, you're right. I, I should have read, should have read I the said, briefing, you shouldn't should I? Have, I read you sent you a briefing. Yeah. <laughs> I did read it, I just forgot. Uh, uh, but <laughs> yeah, I think I'd take a nineteen seventeen British platoon because you've got the uh, it's the it's the development of tactics. It's uh, it's that means a lot to me, I think, the fact that you've got the the four different sections in there and that right there. Is the the epitome of the the anti donkeys First World War uh, outlook? The fact that battlefield tactics are changing and the the weapons are changing, and they are you know using those weapons to the best of their ability to do the job at hand. Mm. And it would would it be even sweeter if they were painted by Irish scriptwriters? <laughs> oh God, yeah. 
Oh, yes. <laughs> he can there sit down and there he can paint a I'd be worried what he was using for paint, though, Alex, if he knew it was coming to Well, that's a fair point, isn't it? Yeah, that's a fair It'd be point. supervised painting, supervised painting. Oh, that's all right then, yes. <laughs> so, uh, finally then, Sean, your war game unit for the Desert Well, you see, I, I, I prepared, and I've, I'm making a sensible choice based on my previous decisions. <laughs> <laughs> um, many, many years ago, a friend of mine who's who's no longer with us uh, took me up to the Northern Militaire show, um, mm. and he bought a unit of Austrian Lancers, Napoleonic Austrian Lancers. Now, he told me these were owned by Peter Gilder, or painted by Peter Gilder, or some there was some provenance that took it, took it back to Peter Gilder. I don't know how true that was, but they looked very similar to... Mm. A unit, the unit. It was, so the Austrian Lancers were in the green jackets. They got the red zapka, zapka, whatever it was. Uh, there's yeah. yellow around it. Squ- square. Square at. Thank you. Uh, it was red. <laughs> the square at was uh, with yellow trim on it, um, and it was just the most beautiful. The horses painted in oils, uh, which I know oh. you're a fan of, Ken. Uh, it was just the most. <laughs> Once again, Sean disappears from our scene to go and help the Greys with their medical experiments. But once again, he will be back. Part three. We're going to have some questions later on, and um, Gary Clark, if you're listening from the Twitters, that kind of covers your question, so that's why it isn't in the final section. Uh, and I think the important thing there to for all our listeners is to prepare for your answers, really. Alex. <laughs> piss poor preparation precedes piss poor performance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, ladies and gentlemen. Right, we'll be back in a minute. Hello, everyone. This is Simon Hall from Episodes 8 and 23. Just wishing you all a fantastic Christmas. Hope you're Crimbo presents are full of nice figures and wargaming beauties for the year ahead. Uh, a spectacular year ahead for me because Rum Total War is coming out and as uh, a board game uh, and it is looking fantastic. So if you get the chance over Christmas and you don't know about it, check it out. Have a fantastic Christmas. Catch you next year. Bye. Hi, it's Ken of the Plastic Crap Podcast from episode 20 of Yorkshire Gamers Reap Big Wargaming Podcast. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Just want to say, if you're feeling cold this winter, Ken's favourite tea, keep it by you at all times, that typhoo that he loves so much. You know, it's not all about Yorkshire tea anymore, it's all about the typhoo, apparently, he's telling me. Um, So yeah, typhoo, it's the new way forward. Take care. Hi, this is Dom from Boots on the Table and Plastic Crack Podcast, Ken's favourite guest, from episode 20 of the 20 of the Yorkshire Gamers Reet Big War Games podcast. Wishing you a fantastic Christmas and even better new year. And may your projects always come to fruition and may your round dice continue to roll forever and ever and ever. Couldn't <laughs> even hear us. <laughs> Are you alive? (laughs) 
he's on he's he's on dial up. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with it because it's been perfect for forever, and then as soon as I've tried to log on to oh, this yeah. tonight, it's just slowed up. The final, the final section of the podcast. Um, you'll be glad to know before Alex puts another part of his body in the fridge door um, <laughs> is, is our questions questions from the uh, our lovely audiences oh, um, God. The, ask the Nora oh, ask our God. Nora section and they're, they're, they're quite sensible tonight I was disappointed very disappointed <laughs> um, and the I forget the lad's name the UK role players games uh, Tom Tom Davis Tom he must have been asleep because he hasn't sent us any questions. Yeah, I was, I, I was surprised at that. There was uh, no long streams of, of consciousness from uh, no. from Sheffield, Tom, Tom. Tom, just let us know you're all right, mate. <laughs> bit, worried, bit worried, bit worried. Right, so crack into these. Uh, some of them are quite straightforward and easy. This this one could cause, cause a bit of trouble. Um, Ian Fuller on Facebook. If people from Yorkshire are always right, what happens if Ken, Alex and Ken give different answers? They're both right. They're both right. Exactly. Yeah. Sean? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I refuse. I plead the fifth. And, uh, he looked, he looked, Sean looked happy. <laughs> sure, yeah. Sean looked, Sean looked happier in his Mexican outfit, I have to say. He did. Um, and this one, this one. Oh, this was a bit of a. He, he's got his hat back on. Um, and that massive scrape, ladies and gentlemen. Sean put his hat back on. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I'll, I'll edit. i that out, obviously, because uh, right. Um, this one. This one was a. This one was a bit of a. This. The, the, Christ. If anyone thinks. If anyone thinks this is professional, then. <laughs> Um, this one caused a bit of a flame war on Twitter as well, actually. Um, but uh, Tom Godson, bless himself, uh, has brought it up again rather than letting it lie. Um, and that is, is Sheffield in the north? Yes. Of course it is. This is this is Rich Clark setting his attack dogs on me. Is it? And I, and ah. I pointed this out to him before we did our... I said, you can you keep your attack dogs away from me. It's... Uh, uh, he goes on about concrete slabs, and he goes on about Sheffield being in the north, and he and he does it to bait his followers to to attack me. That's what this is about, and it's and it's continued on to this now. So this is this is war against Richard Clark. That's what this is. This is a, this is a flame war. Flame yeah, he's war. declaring war on me. It's not north oh, of Manchester. So, Clarky, call call your tag dogs off. Um, that's a good question. It's probably about level with Manchester, is. Anything, anything Sheffield. north? Uh, yeah, you have to go. Um, anything north of Manchester is north. Leeds, Leeds, and Bradford are both surprisingly north of Manchester. When you actually, yeah, look they at are. Yeah. You have to go north to go to to Leeds. Uh, but Sheffield is the is a, is a southern, most southern northern city. Exactly. <laughs> said exactly. then. Sorry, I'm from Rotherham. I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm north of Sheffield anyway, so it doesn't really matter to me. I'm seven miles north. So I don't give a give two, two shits yeah. whether Sheffield's Sheffield, south or Sheffield not. Is, Sheffield is South Yorkshire. It's South Yorkshire, but, but it's still north. in the north. In, yeah. yeah, still in the north. When you yeah, yeah. when let's face it, when when you leave that there London, and you go as soon as you, you get past that, what's that buddy? Um, there's a service station in South Yorkshire. 
Uh, no, no. Before uh, coming out of central London, there's a service station just before you get to um, the M25. Potter's Bar, is it? Can't remember what it's called. Oh, anyway, yeah, yeah. from there, anything further north is just called the North on the motorway sign. It does, yeah. It just says the North. The North. It's like pretty yeah. much everything. Everything above yeah. that is the North. Look how look how su- yeah look how superior we are as Southerners, and you up there are the North. Yeah, you know, it says it, well. It says it on the on the road map, and we all follow those the road sign. We all follow road signs. So there, yeah. there you go. That answers it. So yeah, we can draw a line under that, and you can call your yeah. attack dogs off again, Clark. The second most well known Clark in war games. <laughs> Not yeah, so sure absolutely. about that. Oh, you're talking about yeah. Gary, aren't you? No, Gary no, Clark. No, yeah. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and it's not even no, exactly. spelled right. So uh, we're actually onto a real question now, which is unusual <laughs> for us. Uh, and this is a, a follow-up from Tom. Uh, and uh, what figure scale is the most cost-effective for today's economic environment while still giving uh, punch in a fun game and visually? Uh, well, I would say fifty mil, but I don't think it is. I'd say twenty mil because you can get loads and loads of twenty mil plastics for next to nothing. Airfix and Eshi and things. We're like talking one seventy second. Yeah, one seventy second. So you can just buy those cheapest chips, can't you? Yeah, it's a surprise that more people don't war game with those figures. I um, guess it's I... because we probably all played with them as kids, so you kind of see them as children's toys rather than yeah. There's that thing like, oh, it's metal, so it must be an adult's thing. But there's and a the company called certainly... yeah, there's a company called Strelitz or Strelitz mm. or something mm-hmm. like that that does loads of historical yeah, stuff. Yeah, in yeah, yeah. Plastic scale. Figure Review, the uh, website. Yeah. So much stuff that you don't even think is out there. But yeah, it's like the weird Russian companies, aren't they? That mm. produce like hod carriers of the Neapolitan armor and things like that. Mm. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, economically speaking, I think. 20 millimeter plastic is probably the way to go because there's just so much of it and mm. it's it's everywhere and you'll be what about what what about uh on, the sure. upsurge in interest in paper soldiers if you're talking about economics um peter dennis who does yeah. the artwork for a lot of the warlord games covers and mm. supplements etc yeah he does his painting That's right, and yeah. stuff, doesn't he but how I I thought they were quite expensive. No, actually they're not. It's the ones that do that encase them in uh, resin. They're expensive, aren't they? Yeah, the Wofun that's called, isn't it? And the company is that it do Wofun, those. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if you just go for the uh, the paper soldier, and he he goes to partisan and um, yeah, yeah, hammerhead. I've seen them. They look pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was playing strength and honor, wasn't he, at the last partisan? That's right. Yeah. So bang for buck um, for the person who's. Shorter cash. Yes, you miss out on the painting aspect. Yes, you miss out somewhat on the the visuals because they are two D two D paper soldiers. But um, they've got a charm about them. And mm-hmm. if you go to yeah, his yeah. website, there's a lot you can download for free, absolutely for free. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, there's the Junior General website where you can download paper soldiers. That's, yeah, for yeah, free, that's another one as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. which is very good. Um, but yeah, it's it's if somebody's um, Short of cash, and most of us are at the but moment with inflation and stress. Are they? What scale are they? What? I think they're nominally yeah. twenty mil, aren't they? Uh, I think nominally. Yeah, I thought that. Um, yeah. or, or they may be t- the old twenty-five mil. I'm not quite sure, so sure, but there are the yeah. books, aren't that you can buy, uh, which have got them in already. That's right. But obviously, you yes, can photocopy yeah, yeah. them uh, mm. to create more uh, from there. Mm. So, 
that's not too bad. There's a, yeah, there's, a, there's an Italian company that do them as well, um, and they've got some Garibaldi stuff and some Italian Wars stuff as well. Okay. So they, they, they do seem to be catching up. I mean, for me, it's not going to work because from the side... Um, yeah, yeah. They, they don't. <laughs> well, it's like commission figurines, isn't it? He does uh, MDF, yeah, with the MDF figures as well. Yeah. yeah, and they look great from a distance, but you, when you do get close up, you can see that they're MDF. Yeah, but you know they work for again cost and for for putting something together quickly in in a in a in a quick cheap way. I think. Yeah, yeah. but I, I I remember years ago um, trying out rule sets with like little cut out blocks. Um, my mum used to have artist cards, so I would nick her cut-offs and make them into little blocks and effectively like Kriegspiel pieces. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And Yeah, I've done that before in the past. Like when you test testing out rules out, or things. Yeah, yeah, exactly that, yeah. I, I, that's probably a, a really economic way of getting stuff in. Yeah. Um, or, or become mates with somebody who's got some really big, Expensive collections. That's a real that's cheap way of doing option. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but unfortunately, I'm only open to bribes. <laughs> <laughs> but there we go. So, thank you, Tom. Thank you for that question. Uh, Sean in the bunker. Should one partake in alcoholic beverages whilst wargaming, and should those who don't get alcohol get a minus on their die rolls? <laughs> who don't get it? You don't mean? drink. Oh, don't drink. drink. Well, I never drink when I'm a gaming. I'll, I'll drink a J two O. I'll go yeah. down the club and I'll drink a J two O because I like to put a bit of money behind the bar at least. Yeah. Uh, well, the the E numbers in J two O, you can get whacked off your tits fairly. Quick. Oh God, yeah, yeah, two yeah. of those, and you know I'm spinning out for for the night. So, <laughs> but that's also because I drive as well. So I, I don't even like having one pint if I'm driving. Mm. Uh, because I always think you know one pint might lead to a second pint, and you know you think, eh, and then before you know it, you're over the limit. But so I don't even I don't even tempt myself, so I I don't bother. I don't even think about it. I've I've never been a drinker either. While I played, um, no. there's a couple of guys who used to come round here, Tom and Dave, um, and they would drink like fishes. Mm. Um, you know, they come with like six pack of Guinness for the day. Right. Um, and and you know neck them all by the the, the yeah, end, yeah. And, and maybe even go to the offie at two o'clock in the afternoon, and, and you know it didn't it didn't spoil everyone anyone else's enjoyment, and you yeah, know, yeah. they were not rowdy and throwing figures at bastards and throwing t- stuff off the table. But that's that's the way that they they gained and, and enjoyed yeah, gaming. Yeah. It's just something. Yeah, it's individuals, done. isn't it? I mean, I always fear as well though that the the, the something's going to get spilt. Yeah, that's my big fear when you've got all these pints uh, and when people are getting a little little more clumsy because they're uh, you know they might be slightly tipsy. It's probably not in, in, uh, distracting from the game any, but the fact that you know you got a, a pint full of sticky liquid right next to a yeah. load of really nicely painted figures kind of fills me with a little bit of dread. Exactly, exactly. Uh, sure, I, I suspect been... obviously, yeah, I suspect obviously Sean's question was slightly tongue in cheek there, but um, yeah, the um, I've I've never drank. I, I'm not a big drinker anyway. Um, uh-huh. But interestingly, um, a, a little group of guys who've started at our club recently uh they'll take down a box of 24 little stubby bottles of beer and mm. they'll mm. drink those through the night and that's the first time at our club that i can ever remember anybody drinking 
alcohol there and they don't get rowdy with it and they're just around their own table mm. and, and yeah. with their own figures so there's, there's absolutely no problem with it but yeah I've, I've never really been into that culture where i need to i'll have a diet coke or something when i play but yeah, uh, yeah i don't um and so so consequently can't sorry consequently uh to answer sean's question no you should not get a minus on your dice if you don't drink <laughs> no <laughs> exactly. I mean, we, we when we used to um, meet in a, a working working men's club, um, I'd occasionally have a pint during the mm. night, but that's all I would all I would ever ever have. Um, just I was listening to I can't even remember which podcast it was, um, a wargaming podcast, and um, somebody was mentioning that um, the group that they belong to have bets financial bets on their wargaming and really? i've never heard i've never heard wow. that before wow never that's heard that's a, a quick way to ruin friendships i would suggest it is a little bit isn't it they talk yeah. about competition gaming god mm. yeah i wouldn't be yeah. uh wouldn't be into that at all gambling mind you there's some people you might give long odds on who like never <laughs> ever would <laughs> <win> a game <laughs> or you know you, you you change your odds after your first die roll the problem is it completely changes the entire landscape of it, doesn't it? Because you're then you're you're then committed to winning at any odds, aren't you? And yeah. you're also watching your opponent for them to do anything. You know, you'd be reading the you'd be a proper rules lawyer because you wouldn't be wanting to lose however much you put on the thing. Yeah. There would there'd be no like, oh yeah, it's an inch close, so yeah, just you know, mm. forget about it. You know, move on. You'd be everything would be checked, and that's just not how I game. If if it's bets, if it's never heard of it, if it's bets on uh, to say, oh, John's going to fail his next morale test. Let's see, and we'll put a fiver on it. Yeah, he's going to pass. Yeah. yeah, he's going to fail. I suppose that like a spot bet, if you like. Mm. Um, yeah, in, yeah. In, interestingly, like on a dice roll um, that that nobody can interfere. Yeah, with. yeah, exactly. Interestingly, um, Mantic Games, uh, use, uh, well, they run an annual competition for their fantasy game, Kings of War. Um, and the winner of the Kings of War competition in the UK gets a flight out to play the Clash of uh, the Kings of War wow. Championship in America. And, right. the, and similarly, in America, the American winner gets a flight to come over to the UK to compete in, in the equivalent tournament here. So that does put money at stake. And then, mm. but that is a, a competitive environment. You know what you're going into there. Um, That's different. But isn't I think, it? Yeah. I th- yeah. So for a game down the club to. Yeah, it doesn't float. Like, even mind even mind just putting a fiver on it or something like that, I think it just completely changed the entire my outlook on the game, and it's a, yeah, and it'd be something I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to have. Yeah, not yeah. at all. So no gambling, no drinking, no gambling. Mm. Yes, yes, we're very clean living here. Yeah, yes, <laughs> no yeah, drink, no alcohol, no gambling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're uh, yeah, we're clearly uh, sons of virtue, aren't we? <laughs> we certainly are. <laughs> Proper language all the way through, no swears. Yes. <laughs> not slagging off other people. Absolutely not. No, no. Absolutely. No. If they found out what our vices were, though, then. Uh, <laughs> we, yeah. what, why do you think I've got those burner accounts? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and Andy Shaw on the Twitter. Well, hello, Andy. Um, Hi, Andy. I'll do Andy. Yeah. Um, we've kind of, Sean's kind of answered this question already, but if you could play any game in any scale, and terrain wasn't an issue, what would you like to have a go at and why? 
Mm. I'll, I'll stick with my Austerlitz, but it'd be interesting you'll, you'll, to hear yeah, Alex's. I'd do something First World War, and I think I'd do something probably, I don't know, from the Somme or maybe uh, Combray or something where where there's a lot of trenches involved in it. Uh, basically a setup that I don't have at the moment, you know, that I can't be asked to make, basically. Uh, <laughs> and also store. That's the problem as well with uh, with trench boards. Uh in, uh, yeah, so I think I'd, um, I'd I'd go I'd go First World War again just to stay on that First World War kick that I'm sticking with with 2023, and I think yeah it would it would be something with a really lavish trench setup that would be built very specifically to a specific battlefield, probably Combray, I think, just mm. for the interest of having tanks and infantry uh, and a bit of a mix of both. So yeah, uh, yeah, First World War thing with lots of trenches. Awesome. There you go. Is um, that a... What about you, yeah, Ken? No, that's a, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm, it's a good question, this, for me. It is. Because a lot a good of the... question for all of us, I think. A lot of the stuff that, you know, I'm already doing. So, you know, a big mm. Italian Wars game would not be something new and different because I've already got big Italian Wars stuff and I play big <laughs> Italian Wars games on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, but oh, I think I would go for... Uh, this... Is something that I haven't got at the moment, but I will have in the future, um, and that's doing the one seven hundred foot um, naval stuff mm-hmm. on a massive table. Yeah. Um, terrain, terrain definitely isn't an issue because there isn't any, which is why I love, <laughs> which is why I love naval wargaming. <laughs> there's people, divert, there's people who do naval wargaming who stick fucking islands in and harbors and stuff. It's like you. You're playing a game where you don't need any terrain other than stealing the, stealing your granny's blue curtains. You they can't leave it alone, pre- can they? They can't no. leave it alone. Oh, they've, they've got to have a bloody island and they've got to have a harbour and they've got to have some clouds and a little rock with some penguins on. And it's like, oh. Anyway. Alex, I think on your one uh, with the the trench boards, etc. Um, mm-hmm. I would almost certainly ask Sydney Roundwood uh, to build oh, the boards yes. because those yeah, boards yeah. he did. Oh, it's a while ago yeah. now, isn't it? For through the mud and the blood were just exceptional, weren't they? So, oh, they're fantastic, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. I'd commission. Uh, yes, I'd, 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 I'd capture Sydney, keep him in the yeah. basement with us two. <laughs> with us, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where we with are us. now, uh, and getting to build <laughs> the boards. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if, if he was um, captured in my cellar, um, I would probably change my um, choice from a, a terrainless naval game uh, to something that I could keep Sydney busy with for a, for a short while. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, Sid, we're not coming round. We, we won't be round, don't worry. You're safe. Yeah, just, yeah, <laughs> it's all hypothetical, we've, honest. <laughs> we've, just, we've just got... We've just got Lewis Collins set up in the bloody Who Dares Wins film, <laughs> swinging through your living room window on the rope from the helicopter. You're coming with us. Couple of flashbangs. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, well, um, I don't know if Sydney's doing the um, Analog Hobbies Winter Paint Challenge this year. Uh, I've not, not checked. But it would it would be really nice to not finish second to him again. <laughs> so I'll just... Do something shit this year. Do something this year. Shit this year, Sydney. Please. <laughs> Second place again. Bloody bridesmaid. Anyway. 
Uh, next question um, from Dimitri Ionu. I think, uh, hopefully, I've got that right um, on the Twitters. And uh, nice, straightforward question. What's on the hob hobby bench uh, next? And what is the next project that you are eyeing up? I'll go first. My you hobby bench first. has my hobby bench has got uh, some one seven hundred scale uh, merchant ships that I'm halfway through building, and the Bismarck. Um, and I'm trying to get them cleared and away in nine days' time for when the Analog Hobbies Winter Paint Challenge starts. And I shall be doing some 28mm Italian uh, Wars Spanish. So, ready for that. Nice. I've got all the figures primed and ready to go. Uh, so that's quite an easy one for me. Alex? Uh, I've just finished off uh, a load of First World War ruins for Through mm. the Mud and the Blood and for Square Bashing. I've done them so I can put them on six inch grids or I can put them on uh, just on, on uh, just on the table themselves. Oh, they... I, I missed the bit on your video, Alex. Were you putting bits of your garden on it? I, I couldn't work out what you were putting on it. <laughs> on those ruins? Yeah, uh, you were it's... like spraying a load of white stuff and then chucking <laughs> bits of your garden on it. And, uh, I didn't know what was going on. It's, it's a rubble mix that I made years ah, ago, but unfortunately... Okay. Because I made it so long ago, I can't actually remember what I made it out of. So I've got loads of it, but I've got no idea what it, what bits it is. It's like it's like cork and and uh, well, sand and all kinds of stuff mixed up. And here's here's a top tip for that. Then, if you um, next time you're abroad, come back into the country and hide some of it on your person. <laughs> You'll get stopped by customs, and they'll analyse it. And of course, it won't be drugs. But you can, but then you can, they can go, tell me what it what's is. in it, and they'll go, "Well, it's ten percent this," and, and then write it down. I mean, <laughs> okay, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Top tip there. Top tip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, You'll yeah, be walking like John, John Wayne for a couple of days. Why did I think of that? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Alex. You were spreading. <laughs> so shit yeah, everywhere. Just, I just I just finished those up. Uh, I've got a load. I've got tons of stuff actually just sitting in the uh, in the to paint pile at the moment. So I'm trying not to buy too many things. But uh, I was I have been eyeing up um, Star Wars STL files uh, to try and get those printed out somewhere. But um, I, it's a it's a long way off. I don't want to I don't want to uh, distract myself from the big pile of of terrain and and things that I've got to work my way through at the moment. So. That's uh, First World War is kind of dominating stuff at the moment, but mm. also getting rid of me lead pile, plastic pile, I suppose it is. Awesome. All ready for the hashtag my... Great War Game 23. 23, yes. I can't even remember what's in my pile to do, so I couldn't even say. Cl Fighting the battles and the stereotypes. Absolutely. Right I, came up, I came up with that. Nice one. <laughs> I came up with that. That was me. <laughs> John? Um, on the painting table at the moment has been uh, quite a bit of Spanish Civil War. Um, just painted uh, a Moroccan Tabor. Part of, part of an army, not a faction. Tabor, yes. <laughs> uh, that was quite nice did to it, do. Did he just uh, say faction then? Did he just yeah, say no, no, I, I was faction. trying to avoid yeah. saying faction. Yeah, faction. Uh, and everybody, been doing, um, everybody drink. Everybody drink. <laughs> <laughs> been doing a bit of scenery, which is a, a tower oh, on a oh, hill. That's lovely. That is lovely. That yeah, is. That's good. Yeah, uh, bit, which bit, is an object. Shit for an audio podcast, but it, yeah, it is a little bit. Yeah, it's a tower on a hill. Yeah. 
<laughs> if you're listening, 3D you could see that, you'd love it. You would. Yeah, you it. would. It's a 3D yeah. printed tower, actually, uh, yeah. that I had off of eBay, which is very nice. Uh, very that's cool. for uh, one of the objectives in Bayonets and Ideology, the Peter Pig Spanish Civil War rules, mm-hmm. uh, which oh, I really nice. enjoy. Um, next on the painting table is probably going to be some ancients. Now, I've painted very little ancients throughout my life, uh, but I have a 15 mil. I picked up a 15 mil Celt stroke Gaul stroke Barbarian uh, army off eBay for virtually nothing a while ago, and I've just bought some Romans to uh, go against them. Ancients has never really been my thing, but um, Peter Pig, I've got a new, or sorry, they're rewriting their ancient rules, Conquerors and Kings um, at the moment, which should be out early in the new year, so it's for those really. Uh, but for the Great War, hashtag Great War game, War War game, I'm th- Square Bashing would be the obvious choice, but I know there's probably going to be at least one version of Square Bashing. Uh, being done. James Mitchell's doing it in six mil. Um, I don't know what you're doing, Alex. Maybe you're probably going to do through through the blood. I would imagine, are you? Or... Possibly, or, or or square bashing. I'm not really or sure. Or square bashing, yeah. Yeah, no, probably more more maybe um, cocking up the mud and the blood. I think actually. Yeah, um, I found a, a very old set of World War One rules called Kaiser Bosch, uh, oh, which yeah. were by Tabletop Games. Uh, back in the day, I oh, think they were TTG, written in the... TTG, TTG, yeah. Um, I remember the name. I've never played them, though. Yeah, um, I've had them for absolutely years and never played them. Um, mm. But I, I dug them out, and I, I quite like the scenarios that they've got in the back. Um, it's sort mm. of 50 figures aside, most of the scenarios are. Um, and I fancy... Uh, this is... I don't know if I can bring myself to say this. Hang on. <coughs> Just let me compose oh. myself. I might do this in 28 mil. <coughs> oh, God. Can oh, you edit that out? God. Can you? I'm not sure if I'm comfortable <laughs> that being out there. Oh, I might oh. do that in 28 mil. <laughs> Ooh, you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, War Games Atlantic have got these very nice plastics, haven't they? Uh, the Germans at the moment, but mm. they're bringing a British set out. Yes, uh, they very are. Very soon. Mm. Um, and of course, plastics the Great War... Plastics don't count for 28 mil. The Great War miniatures <laughs> uh, by Dave Andrews and Ali Morrison, they, uh, yeah. they've they always tickled <laughs> my fancy nice. a little lovely. bit. Uh, so they would be the other option. But I, I really fancy that. Um, almost in an old school style. Um, mm. So not, not try to do an absolutely glorious battlefield with it, but keep it relatively basic nice but basic um mm. but that's that's a possibility anyway thank you dimitri um so uh, when dice go bad on the twitters if you are not gaming regularly <laughs> take bland bran flakes no if you're not gaming <laughs> regularly is it better to play a load of average games almost for the sake of it or once in a while to play a mega game I don't ever set out to play an average game. Do you not? No. You are not just for the sake of it. You're yeah. Cool. Yeah, I think you have to be in a mood to play it. So if you're not going to, there's been times where I've thought about having a game and then I've kind of felt like, oh, we should have a game on a Sunday uh, with my mates. And then I've just kind of thought about it and thought, no, I can't really be bothered. And you, you're not in the mood for it. So you just cancel it. Is that just laziness? 
a little. <laughs> but also sometimes you might be tired, you might just be, you know, you might not be feeling it or something. You know, sometimes you don't always want to play a game, do you? Don't, you know, the 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 whole setting everything up and organising things as well is, you know, a big thing. So, no, I, I don't know. I wouldn't, yeah, like Sean says, do you set out to play an average game? If I was going to play an average game, I wouldn't have set out to play it in the first place. Mm. It's an interesting one. Yeah, it's an interesting one for me because I've traditionally not gamed very much. You know, mm. I've not gamed every week. Um, and when I have gamed, I've done a big game. Yeah. Um, and then recently, since ooh, probably the last couple of three months, I've been going to the club on a regular basis on a Wednesday night. I, you know, I'm a lot. I've been ill, and I'm a lot better now. And I just thought, you know what? Fuck this! I'm going to enjoy my war gaming and go mm-hmm. to the club on a, on a more regular basis. Um, and in doing that, I've started to join in games that maybe I wouldn't have organised or play, uh, mm-hmm. and and found a joy, a kind of a joy in that, in the in the in just getting back into gaming again, rather than you mm. know planning for a long time to do a big game, which is what I normally do. So yeah. I wouldn't call them average games, but you know, in the past I've not played regular games mm. in lieu of playing a big game. But I'm yeah, there's doing... been games that I've played that I've that I've yeah that have been average. They've turned out to be average, but that's mm. not. I didn't go into it thinking, oh, this is going to be average. You go into it thinking, oh, it's going to be great. It's just sometimes mm. circumstances are that you yeah. know. You might not have liked the rule set. You might not have liked the periods. You might not have, you know, just hooked onto it. And I, I find that a lot because obviously, I'm, you know, I'm I'm a historical gamer, so I like to play games that are historical that I that I've got an interest in, and that is quite a narrow band of interest. So things outside of that interest, I'm, I don't have much interest in. <laughs> if that makes sense. Uh, so I find those games a lot more average, but I still try to go into them, you know, with a bit of an open mind. It's just sometimes you come out of me and you just think, yeah, those rules weren't great and, you know, it, that felt a bit plodding or whatever and I wasn't interested in that particular period. You know, but you've got to try these things out so you just don't do it again, that's all. I wouldn't play those games again if that was the case, you know. So, yeah, I don't, like you, Ken, I go down to the club pretty much every week. There's been a few weeks I've missed, obviously, and uh, mm. I'll either set up a game or I'll join in a game that sounds good that I want to play. You know, rather than going thinking, "Oh, this is going to be average," sometimes it turns out to be average because that's just the way that the games games go. I, I, I think I've probably mis- misinterpreted what he meant there. I think if he's mm. talking about an average game, where an average game is a club night game as opposed to a big mm. spectacular. Um, to be honest, I'd rather play the average game. Uh, yeah, rather than play like once that. every six months, where I play yeah. a superbly. Late. Your game, your big games, can must take weeks, if not months, to plan, and then the setting yeah. up and the mm. doing the briefings, which nobody reads, and setting the train out, etc. <laughs> um, I've just come back from, well, not just, but at the end of November, um, I was down in Weymouth at the Peter Pig Weekender, where we mm. take over a hotel uh, from the Friday night through till the Sunday afternoon. Uh, and just play all the Peter Pig games. I played seven or eight different games um, down there uh, and thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, mm-hmm. None of, I mean, they all look nice, but they, they, none of them would be what you would describe a D 
display quality game, I suppose. But yeah, yeah. They, they all look nice. They look lovely. I, I really enjoyed all the games. Uh, and I think we can all agree that the most important ingredient of any war game is the people that you play with. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. with mates. It's a social hobby, isn't it? Yeah. It's a social hobby, yeah. Uh, so um, that, you know, if, if you're with friends and you're enjoying the game, uh, then you know you you in the pound six. Yeah, I agree with that. I think yeah, even then the what if you did change the definition of average to your average game of week on a on a mm. on a club night. Yeah. If you're doing it with your mates and you're having a laugh, then it's not an average game anyway, yeah. is it? And, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that is like you said, but that's better than setting up once every six mm. months to play a game that because. If that ends up being crap, then that's it. That's your that's your game for <laughs> yeah. six months, isn't it? Your bollocks, then, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. 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 No pressure, Ken. Then when you set up a game for me and Alex to come round. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, there is a there is a, a, a joy, and I've explained. You know, we've talked about it before with, with myself. Is a, the gaming isn't the big thing for me. The painting and yeah, collecting yeah. is the big thing for me. So at the moment, I'm just starting to plan for Pavia in two years, two and a half years' time. Um, because there's a lot of figures that need getting and and, and painting mm. up for that. Um, but I'm not gonna. I'm not. So I'm not gonna stop that. Um, but I am currently enjoying what we've just Doing the other talked stuff. about but as then, the average game. But also as well, when you come, when you set up your games, you've got an audience. You've got a group of people who are going to come and are going to. They're going to enjoy that game anyway, aren't they? It's it's a bit different, yeah. isn't it? To, to, it's not not it, just the ones locked in the cellar. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't let us out to play those games, no, so you know no, we, no. we don't even get that. But uh, help. we don't get that enjoyment. <laughs> <laughs> Send help now. Uh, but we. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, you've got an, a, a group of people who are coming together to play that game. Mm. So, you know, yeah. it's not going to be crap. You know, when I said it, you, you, you'll yeah. put something together and it might end up being crap. I'm fairly certain you know, your big games that you put on every couple of months or whatever are probably pretty good because everyone's coming with that same mindset. But, but, what, what, but I, what I will say to that is that we've had some absolutely dreadful games where mm. we've been trying to set a rules that have just turned out to be shite. Yeah. Um, not not mentioning any names but soldiers of god. And um <laughs> we've we've enjoyed that because of who we are and the company that we've had. Yeah, yeah. Um and you know taking the mickey out of each other or what's what's happening or in this particular case not happening on the table uh, mm. and and kind of you know oh god this is so so dreadful that this isn't happening, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there can be there can be a joy in a in a in a bad game if you're with the right people. I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's, it's, it sounds contradictory, doesn't it? I mean, it can work either way, uh, average or or big mm. spectacular, and it can also work in the opposite way as well. An average game could be really enjoyable because of who you're with, and a and a big spectacular game could be shit because of how it turns out. You know. Yeah. Or it could it be brilliantly organised, and you get some knobhead playing who's just a who just goes against tool. it all and, and yeah um, and ruins it for everybody. And ruins and it that's for generally everyone. you, I guess. <laughs> yeah. 
every time. Every <laughs> right, time. that's me chained back up to the radiator for the night. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you're back on tatty water for your food. <laughs> Steps out of line there. <laughs> yeah, oh, me. Uh, next question is from Mark Freeth of uh, War Games Holiday Centre. Uh, and, and quite an interesting one, actually. Uh, what's your opinion on the durability of plastic figures versus metal figures? I'll tell you an interesting, an interesting thing. An interesting thing. I've put on some. I've put on four big games recently. Uh-huh. Um, that's involved transporting a couple of thousand figures to another location, playing a game, getting them all back in the boxes, bringing them back in the house, etc., etc., etc. I have had one bent flagpole on a plastic figure, um, and I. Uh, spend about two hours putting all the metal stuff back together. Yeah, I would say the plastic stuff is probably easier to repair. Yeah, yeah. Just in general, if mm. anything does go wrong with it, um, I don't know what you mean. How it means by durability? I mean, in, in long, in, in in time, or just in in being used by being touched. I would say it's similar to what I was talking about there. In you know the longevity of the figures because um, yeah. the, the stories isn't there of some of these old um plastic spencer smiths from the 70s and 60s um just crumbling, crumbling away dust. into dust but that's because it's crap plastic though isn't it right. and that's their very early plastics as well aren't they those ones the 70s ones i mean stuff like airfix things they're still around they're still fine yeah. You know, the ones from the 60s and things. It just depends on the plastic that they're using, I think. Yeah. Uh, I've got, I think somewhere kicking about upstairs, I've got an Eshi uh, Imperial Guard 172nd figure that I've had for, he's got to be at least 30 to 40 years old when yeah. I bought it. Uh, so well, I've had it for 30 or 40 years. It's just been kicking around in my, and, and it's, perf- it's, a, it's exactly the same as it was when it came out of the box. You know, so yeah. I think, there's there's no issue with it. I, I think on that durability aspect, um, metal figures are probably. If, if I'm talking about, a world, I'm thinking about World War Two figures here. I guess if you've got Italian wars with pikes, etc., if you've got shields, and they're going to be far more prone to pinging off than on a plastic figure because the plastic uh, essentially welds together, doesn't it, with the polish yeah. cement. Um, but a World War Two figure, um, I've been painting some World War Two for a friend. Um, I far prefer painting the World War Two, uh, sorry, the metal to the plastic. I hate building figures for a start. Uh, plastic figures, I really detest that. But I think the less pr- so, rifles have, have snapped off the plastic figures where they're not going to snap oh, off yeah. uh, World War Two, mm. uh, sorry, a metal figure. Mm. However, you have to be really you have to have a really decent varnish on the metal figure, whereas a plastic figure, the paint won't come off. It won't mm. flake. It won't. Yeah, that's true. It doesn't if, chip if it, as easy, does it? It don't chip. Yes, thank you. That's the word I was after. Mm. Um, so I think it's horses for courses. I think for mm. transporting everywhere, plastic's obviously the favoured option because it's, it's so light. A couple of thousand uh, plastic <laughs> figures over a couple of thousand metal, as uh, <laughs> you've experienced. There is a problem with that though, because um, if you pick a if you pick a big tray of metal figures up, you know you've picked them up, 
and you're kind of struggling and lifting and making sure you've got your posture right. You do that with a plastic box full of plastic stuff and you nearly fucking throw them across a field because you're, you're using the same <laughs> leverage yeah. and strength to get them up and, and there's no weight yeah. in them whatsoever. One, yeah. one of my boxes of Italian walls is, is um, one of them's all metal gendarmes and you can only just carry that on your own. And one of them's virtually all plastic pike and the difference mm. between the two is is just unbelievable. Yeah, massive, yeah. massive it's, difference. It's interesting that you talk about you hate hate putting them together, Sean, because that's something that I love. Mm. I love building the things. But I came into wargaming through military modelling. Yeah, I was doing yeah. that long before I was doing any wargaming. So to me, that's my bread and butter, and I love putting tanks together. You know, and, and even building little fifteen mil figures that. Uh, plastic soldier company do them yeah the plastic ones but yeah i just i, I love it i think that's a grand there's so many people that say they hate it they can't mm. stand that and i just i can't i can't understand it you mm. know p- from a personal point of view because i just enjoy that process of, of yeah. building things uh but i can i suppose i can understand why why people don't like it but you know enjoy it i think it's just part of the process it's yeah it's it's just not part of the process that i enjoy uh yeah I, if you gave me a primed figure uh, and uh, you know, a clean brush and a nice clean water jar and a bit of paper yeah. towel. I'll be happy. Painting all Portolo. Day. <laughs> I'll be. I'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, and my water. Uh, I'd be happy all day long. I would. I yeah, could yeah. sit there and literally eight hours could go by. Yeah. Um, not not currently, but in the past, <laughs> um, when I've had that time, I've absolutely been yeah, lost. Yeah in the process of painting figures and listening to podcasts or audio books or something on YouTube. I've, that, that's my happy place. Um, yeah. Building figures isn't. <laughs> it just makes me fr- <laughs> I think it's because I'm not very good at it, Alex. I think that's the yeah. bottom of it, top and bottom, because I, I feel like I'm all fingers and thumbs and I can't quite get the bit into the right place, particularly if it's separate arms and separate weapon and you're trying yeah, to get yeah. the angle right for the arms and yeah, just yeah, it can be tricky. Get frustrated. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to say that I've quite enjoyed coming back to making model kits, doing these ships. Because mm. um, how wonderful not, they are, Ken. By the way, yeah, yeah they are brilliant. I've really enjoyed doing that. I'm really, it's um, I've become um, a weathering um, addict. <laughs> <laughs> I'm buying all these different pigments and weathering's brilliant. Isn't it? Yeah, I love that. Oh, absolutely oh my god! Yeah. Oh, I've got salt splashes and oh, <laughs> it's it's just amazing. Uh, so yes, I'm very much enjoying that. And I hadn't really built model kits since I was a teenager, really. Um, yeah. So it's been it's I've enjoyed coming back to them. I'm not so keen as you, Sean, on putting figures together. Um, it does. It does make a massive difference financially. I've just ordered yeah, um, yeah, what well, uh, in a, the technically term of a shitload of stuff for my Italian wars. Um, That's a known unit um, of measurement in wargaming terms. Because yeah. yeah, we all know what is. you mean. Oh yeah, <laughs> a shitload. Well, you see this the, the, um, War Games Foundry and Casting Room Miniatures. I don't know if you've seen Casting Room Miniatures. They're like an offshoot of War Games Foundry. They've got a twenty-five percent off over three hundred quid. Well, you're making a saving, aren't you? You're making you make, a yeah, saving. You're by, making a, a huge saving. You'd be huge... stupid not to spend that much money yeah. on it because you are making you are yeah, saving. You're making literally yeah. making money. 
by especially that much. especially when I'm I'm going to buy those troops. I'm not. Yeah. I, I'm because I know some I know some people get suckered into ordering another fifty pound kit to get free postage and packing. Um, but I haven't done that. I've got a huge list of stuff I need to get for Pavia, and if I'm ordering it and I'm getting twenty five percent off. Get it all at once, aren't you? I'm having yeah. it. I'm having it. There you go. There's but a that... quarter. Can I throw a question to you very quickly, you, you two? Mm. I want to know if you're the same as me. So you've just mentioned there 300 quid's worth of stuff mm. uh, and you're going to get 25% off. If I do that, I think to myself, well, I've saved a load of money. I'm going to spend that money I've saved. So I'll actually still spend 300 quid, but I'll get 300 and however much more money on top of it. <laughs> I won't consider it a saving. I'll think, well, that's more money I can spend on figures. <laughs> That's my mindset, anyway. Yeah, I think I can all, understand that. Yeah, I think uh, we're all very similar with that. Yeah. To be honest, I'm I'm a proper Yorkshireman in that uh, my I've got very short arms and long pockets, and I I don't like spending money, and I I don't think I've ever spent three hundred quid on figures in one go. I've definitely yeah. spent it over, but I I prefer to buy like forty or fifty quids worth at a time, even if. You know, it would give me a massive saving. And then yeah. I'll go back a couple of months later and buy another 40. So I'll end up spending like over 300 quids worth on figures, yeah. but just not at one time. Not all at once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not all at once. And my, yeah. my, pro- my problem with that is that when I'm when my paintbrushes are on fire and I'm, I'm painting like a bastard, 50 quids a day and a half. It just goes through it. It's like a heroin addiction. You know, <laughs> 50 quid doesn't... Get it would even two sides, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think I paint in that in that way either. I, mm. you know, I, I paint slowly. Yeah. I, I can paint fast, but I, I paint in small batches rather than like you guys in big batches. You know, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't particularly. I don't set out to paint quickly. It's just that's just what comes mm. out. Yeah. Um. You know, I, I never think I'm going to do. Oh, I'm going to do these absolutely brilliantly and i'm going to do these actually a little bit less brilliantly and get more out i never think like that i just yeah yeah you just paint paint uh, mm-hmm. and then with the ships i've just in i've i've, I've enjoyed it as i've gone along and thought yeah, oh yeah. let's try this oh let's try this mm-hmm. and it you know i think hud took me about three weeks yeah um pretty solid on it as well um so there's as I've said many times before, there's a lot of enjoyment for me in the painting, so that's why uh, yeah, I do yeah. so much. Do so yeah, much yeah. Of it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, as as Sean says, it's a broad church, and you know, you do whatever it is out of the uh, within the hobby that you you enjoy, don't you? You concentrate the high, on the that. high priest of the broad church. Yes. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Bless you all. Uh, Royston <laughs> Papworth on the Facebook um, says, "How do you big battle a small battle?" <laughs> How do you big battle a small battle? I know. We'll go one, to one, figure, one to one figure scale. To, yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with uh, the Battle of Mentana, which is relatively small, the papal French side, four and a half to 5,000, Garibaldi, anything between the same amount and 10,000. So 15,000 is not a lot of people for a battle, really, mm. at the end of the day. Um, so I, as you just said there, Sean, I drop the figure scale or up the figure scale, whichever way you want to go yeah. around, and do one to ten or one to fifteen. Yeah, that's the way. That's the way around it for me. That sounds um, about right. It's whatever. It's whatever floats your boat. So we've we've spoken in the past, haven't we, Sean, about the polymos basing system and yeah. and that one base for a battalion with twenty four figures on, is or it? Or brigade, yeah. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Or even a brigade, and that's that's not floating my need mm. for for more figures and and, and more spectacle. Yeah. But I it scratches other people's itches for more units. Well, it's it's going that other way, isn't it? Where people, I think they call it bathtubbing, where they reduce a big battle down to, uh, yeah. you know, they can. So, uh, are you aware of the Neil Thomas set of yeah, war bl- games bloody books? Big battles. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, not not bloody big, big battles. That's Chris Pierce, isn't it? But um, Neil Thomas did uh, war gaming intro- introduction, war gaming nineteenth century, war gaming. We played his ancients ones. Ancients uh, and medieval. Uh, uh, at the, at the club. Yeah, so he'll fight Hastings, for instance, with mm. 12 units aside, or mm, 10, right. 10 units against 12 units. That'll be That's on a right. three foot. Feels, feels like DBA, but yes. not as restricted as DBA kind of thing. Yeah, so you're talking about maybe DBA a little bit more than DBA you would have in an army, where they'll, they'll cram, not cram, but uh, scale it down. So the 19th century book, I, I really like, actually. I've been reading that recently. Mm. And you could fight the Battle of Mars Latour, uh, Franco-Prussian War, with, I think, 12 units against 14 units, um, mm. and still call it Mars Latour with uh, Marshal Bazan, who... who Frankly, you want to get killed very early in the game, but uh, <laughs> and the French stand virtually no chance of winning. But the table set out to represent the battlefield of Mars Latour. Mm. Um, but that's going the other way to what the the, the question was. But mm. uh, and, and that's what it's what floats people's boats, isn't it? It probably wouldn't be your thing, Ken, to yeah. sit down at a four by three table with twelve mm. units and say I'm fighting the Battle of Mars Latour. Mm. You want a, you want the sixteen foot table with thousands yeah. of troops looking fantastic with the flags. And so if they're if they're if they're bathtubbing, am I Olympic size swimming pooling? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that must be what it. Yeah, you're in the hundred meter pool. Yeah, that's the uh, yeah. I'm not going to say big boys gaming because that's going to get me into trouble. They will. I haven't said that. I haven't said that. It's a slappable <laughs> offence, that is. Yeah. Yeah, mentioned, mentioned. It's what people enjoy from the gaming, and yeah. that just happens yeah, to be yeah. what I enjoy. Yeah, no, and the, and there's no harm in it. As you've got to accept that people come to this hobby for different reasons. And yeah, absolutely. we're in the same hobby, but mm-hmm. we're just approaching it from a different angle. Absolutely. Apart from the round dice lot. Yeah, they, they can fuck off. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> tank, tank bases as well. No, Ooh. no, no, no. I'm not going to no. even start that one. That is, that is a no. flame war that will go on. That is oh, a flame yes. <laughs> So, um, next question. Matt Williamson, uh, French War Games Holidays, uh, from Facebook. This is an interesting question. Uh, is your collection insured? I hope he's not planning to come around and steal it. Um, and, <laughs> and is it is it for its true value? Uh, no, only on the house insurance. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> I've got no idea what my true value of my collection is. War games collection calculator is where. Yeah, you yes, to yeah. I've, I've, seen, I've seen it. So Pete Riley's uh, website, yeah. uh, but no, I've, I haven't used it. I've, I've, I've no idea to be honest. Interestingly, um, I don't want to know. No, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or I, don't, I certainly don't want my wife to know. Uh, five, <laughs> six years ago, I had a car pinched with a load of figures in it that got burnt out. Ooh. Ooh. Um, and uh, yeah, I didn't really get the value back. 
because yeah. let's face it, once you've painted the figure, it's almost invaluable then, isn't it? You know, yeah. you spend the time that, on it. That, yeah. yeah, that's kind. That's kind of the, the, that. the, yeah. That's kind of the, uh, the point that I was going to make is that can you ever insure your figures for the true value? No, no I, I'm 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 looking across the table now. I'm I'm obviously paying attention to you guys. I'm not like Alex on his fucking Twitter while we're trying to do a podcast. When he um, looks the other way, uh, Alex, <laughs> let's go make a run for it. Distracted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the door at the top of the cellar's locked. So you're not going to get far. Um, I'm looking across. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking across now. A, a really useful box with 96 Italian wars gendarmes in. You know. I, I, I think you'd be looking at 15, 20 quid each to get them painted, buy them and paint them to that standard. It's a Mm. lot of money in one box, isn't it? In one box. How many boxes have you got? (laughs) I've got seven or eight Italian Wars boxes. And that's just one collection. Um, Because for me, you know, heaven forbid the worst happened. I think it was, was it Thomas Moore on, on Twitter from Canada? He had a fire and lost a load of stuff. Yeah, he lost everything, didn't he, practically? Um, can any, you know? Can any amount of money replace what I've got there? Because no, because it's time as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm not the replacing those. I'm not replacing those figures because I can't. No. I, you would have to be able to go back in time mm-hmm. and paint them again. Yeah, and, exactly. And, yeah. and it is. It's a lifetime's worth of it as well because yeah. we've all been wargaming since we were nippers. So we've all collected these things since we were kids. You know, for at least thirty years, for yeah. all of us, you guys, yeah. a little more because I'm the youngest out of us. And uh, brings that up again. It. Brings it. Up again. <laughs> yeah, we're younger. Right in a kisser. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm the youngest here. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's, it's just <laughs> yeah. It's can, the time. Can, it's the can I just say, Alex, can I just say I can retire in two months' time? <laughs> Yeah, who wants to be old now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear. Anyway, there we go. Uh, so that, I think that's uh, that's killed that one. Uh, John John Sowerby on Facebook. How many of these things is there? Well, we've been doing this for about eight hours now. Well, we're only on 55 minutes, which is absolutely fuck all for us. <laughs> yeah, of this recording, of the fourth recording. <laughs> I can't help it if there's people interested and send us questions. I'm, I'm going into overtime soon. <laughs> Next well, time, don't ask them. Just yeah, don't ask. Okay. Right, I'll, I'll be I'll be quick then. You're hoisted by your own petard here. If you if you could play a game against any historical general, who would it be and which battle? So I will go first, um, nice and quick. I will say I want to play against Alexander the Great. And I want to play the Battle of the Bulge because he'll have fuck all idea of what he's doing, <laughs> and I will win. <laughs> that answers it. I can't. I can't better that. Is that, is that, is that good? Is that that'll quick? Do. That'll do. That'll I was do. going. To, I, I was going serious. You see, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd I was like, as well. I'd like to go against uh, Robert Lee at Gettysburg because I know I'd be able to kick his ass. 
Good one. Good one. Yeah. Alex, did you I'm have gonna, a serious one? I haven't got a serious one because I couldn't think of one in the time. But I, I'm going to go with yours. Yeah, some somebody from the ancient from the ancients, uh, Hannibal or somebody, and I'll take them on a chain of command and just <laughs> hand them their ass to him. <laughs> and then you can say I beat Hannibal. Yeah. yeah. Idiot. Well, <laughs> you can have, have a picture of me and Alexander the Great shaking hands and him looking really sad. Yeah, yeah. What the hell? You're giving the loser sign. Yeah, underneath, yeah. underneath, you can just have it, have it entitled "tabled." <laughs> I tabled Alexander the Great. Brilliant. Uh, Gabrielle, we can do these quickly if we want to. Um, no, 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 no. I'll work your way through them. I just thought that was such a good answer. There was no point trying to come up with something better. <laughs> Gabrielle, Ga- oh, Sean's disappeared. Oh, it looks like we lost Sean. See if he comes back in again. Yeah, we'll we'll just we'll carry on. If he comes back, he he, he comes back, and then we can we can uh, edit him back in. Uh, so uh, what we oh Gabrielle Marty Facebook. Will we ever have affordable, beautiful pre-painted miniatures of reasonable quality? It sounds impossible, but with new technology, who knows? Uh, so this is 3D printed, isn't it, basically? Yeah, 3D printed, painted figures. Yeah, is a short so. answer. because Yes, I do think so, because they're, they're already working on it. Well, what, 3D, I, there what, are... what I've seen has been poor, shall we say. Yes, but that's Injured, as it is being... right now. However, yeah. remember, 10 or 15 years ago, 3D printed miniatures were poor. Now yeah. look at them. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's true, but for me, the, the, the joy is in the painting. So I'm not going to get my, I'm not going to buy them. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's not you're not the audience, are you? No, it's no, for definitely not. People who want to not. get painted miniatures yeah. on the table very quickly, mm. and that's the same. It's the same as uh, as um, contrast paints. Your favourites. <laughs> <laughs> Don't pull that face. Well, we've all, we've already decided that they are actually food coloring, so <laughs> that is, is in That's the awards. True. It's now official. So when you when you're making those fancy coloured buns for children in need, uh, get your get your um, uh, contrast paints in and color them. So uh, yeah, I think it will come, but. Um, is it going to uh, change my world? No. Nah. No, it's not going to change my world either. I mean, 3D printing has a bit because I've, I've bought loads and loads of um, uh, loads of scenery yeah. in particular, uh, vehicles as well in 3D printed. But would I? Would I don't want? I don't buy pre-paints anyway. And I don't like buying. I don't like buying paint, uh, pre-painted figures by other people. So I don't. Well, apart from the the Wings of Glory aircraft, they're the only pre-painted things I've got, uh, yeah. and that's because they don't do them unpainted. Otherwise, I'd happily paint them. You know, uh, and I have repainted some of them. The, the X-wing stuff was very good, wasn't it? For yeah, 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 yeah. Well, same with Wings of Glory stuff. That's it's it's, it's good, but um, I wouldn't I wouldn't do it for all of my figures, and I wouldn't pay somebody else to paint stuff for me either. So it wouldn't work for me. But I'm fairly sure there'll be there's tons of people out there who'll be more than happy to to print off a fully paint, paint, painted figure, yeah, and use it. Um... I think the the Wings of Glory stuff was kind of a bit flat for me. Um, 
Whereas the the X Wing stuff did look quite good. I was very impressed. Yeah, was, I mean, I don't know how they did it. Was it, it was robot, a bit more weathered, ro- wasn't it? And stuff. Yeah, robot airbrush or whatever. However, they did it. It was yeah. it was quite spectacular, and I didn't really mind that, um, which is unusual f- for me. I, I I like to paint stuff myself. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. There we go. Um, <laughs> next, next, uh, Paul Edwards on Twitter's. Um, yeah, speaking do, of 3D printing, yeah, he's the man. Do you he use distilled man, water in your wet palette, or is ordinary tap water okay? <laughs> well, I stopped using my wet palette a long time ago, which is weird because I was listening to the two fat ladies' uh, advent calendar, and Richard's latest one was saying that he it was the best thing he's ever bought is a wet palette, is it? And I, yeah, oh, that's no. what he said. Yeah. I think it was in today's. In today's I'm, still, I'm on about day six. I'm, I'm miles behind at the moment, unfortunately. <laughs> um, yes, he, yeah. uh, he'll upset you because, yes, he says it's the best thing he's, he's bought is his wet palette. And I'm, oh. yeah, I stopped using mine. It's sat under my desk uh, getting mould, so I don't know which is yeah, better, exactly. distilled water or tap water. Well, um, I would I would suggest that um, the uh, answer would be that it would depend on what type of um mold culture you're trying to grow right um, which would work better <laughs> watercress or yeah, uh... <laughs> yeah. um we just got a message from sean who can't get back onto the internet which is a bit of, oh, a, bit of a pain so uh, obviously uh staffordshire internet is not exactly uh, and, and you know week. we would tell about the best county in the awards well exactly this is was, it right here isn't it yeah, he was complaining about Staffordshire not being nominated, and it's got shit internet. So I mean, literally, you know, three of us, two of us in Yorkshire, mm. one of us has gone. Why is that? Why is that? Yorkshire internet. What can I Best say? Best in the world. What can I say? Uh, Pear Broden. Hello, Pear. How you doing, mate? How do Pear? How do Pear? You'll um, have to come on this podcast now. It'll be the podcast for displaced podcast guests. <laughs> uh, we're, we're no God's own scale. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so uh, Sean's not here at the moment. He may come back. I don't know. Um, he's probably busy downstairs resetting his router. Um, <laughs> please, please recommend a book for the following. Um, and Alex, you've been World War One. Uh, you did give some books out earlier on. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, me, the Italian Wars. Uh. <laughs> Okay, well, first of all, I'll start up then, shall I? With uh, the first one I mentioned it earlier is Dan Todman's Great War Myth and Memory, but that's that's not really a war gaming book. That's more about how the First World War is perceived, which is what I'm interested in. Uh, a second one for war gamers for the First World War would be Battle Tactics of the Western Front: The British Army's Art of Attack, 1916 to 1918, by Paddy Griffith. There I go, Paddy. There you go. That's everything that you need to know about how the British Army uh, tactical changes came about from 1916 onwards yeah. and how it was dealt with. And it's exactly. such a good book. Exactly. It's quite old at this stage. It's quite an old book. Uh, I've just got it open here. In, um, but you can get paperback version of it for £1.47 wow. on uh, Amazon at the moment. Wow. Uh, but I can't remember how old it is. Uh it's 1996, so it's, it's it's a relatively old book, but it's still pretty pertinent, I think, and a lot of his conclusions are still still hold up, very definitely. Excellent, excellent. Um, so well, get that the, written down yeah. and read that for the for the Italian wars. I think obviously the um, never mind the Bell Hooks rule set 
is perfect. Um, <laughs> comprehensively deals with the, the nuances of the period. Um, yeah, and the uh, less said about that, the better. The less said about the better. There we go. Some more, more trouble on the way. I'm only joking, by the way. You people out there in internet land, you do realise that. Um, the Italian Wars really does suffer from not having a single comprehensive book um, yeah. in the English language. Um, yeah, yeah, that, I can imagine. It, that covers absolutely everything. And um, the old Sir Charles O'Man books, um, Warfare in the in the uh, Renaissance Age and in the war, uh, Medieval Age, they're yeah. still a really good overview. Because the problem that I find with a lot of the books is that people... Um, tend to go into a lot of detail about the um, political and historical background to what's going on, which is horrendously complicated because everyone is trying to kill everyone else. Yeah. Um, and everyone's related to everyone because they're too busy shagging when they shouldn't be. Um, yeah, yeah. So it, it's quite it's quite difficult. So um, the... Uh, the forthcoming Italian Wars book from Helion that I may now be back doing bits of um, okay. is 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 obviously the the number one choice. Um, but the the Osprey books on Fornovo and uh, Pavia are a great bookend to the period. They, they give you you know lots of nice detail about about that. And Helion now do three books on the Italian Wars, and there's more coming out. Um, Helium are great, aren't they? Yeah, they're, they're fantastic because they do some really good obscure books that you just wouldn't get elsewhere, and they're really, really, and they're really nicely produced as well. They're lovely. Uh, I just got uh, Stephen Pope's the um, the first tank actions of the First World War, and it's brilliant. And it's even got a little booklet with maps in it, so you can sit with the booklet open next to your book as you're reading the book. Brilliant. I'd love to, I, I'd love to know. Maybe I don't want to know how much um, you know whether they make money on certain titles. <laughs> uh, you know the, the Victorian Crusaders book that I've got on the Papal Zouaves. Yeah, I, I I'm into it. But <laughs> you and about three other people. I was like, yeah, <laughs> where the hell? Where the hell are the sales coming? I don't know. I mean, the um, they're quite. Um, Renowned within the Catholic community as you know, people who went to fight for the Pope when you know yeah. he was in trouble. So there is interest outside the war gaming and the history side of things. So yeah, 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 yeah. it's an interesting one. Yeah, I think yeah, they'll, they'll probably produce some books. Won't the Helium? They must produce some books that are probably big sellers, like the Napoleonic things and and stuff like that. That's that, that'll prop them up to be able to produce those obscure ones but then also it's they're, they're the kind of place that you you go specifically looking for obscure books don't you that's the thing or books on obscure uh units and that oh we have a we have a mr and Clark it looks back. like he's back again so we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to stop talking about him yeah yeah Sean, are you in? I'm in and I'm recording. I'm recording. Yay. Awesome. Yeah. awesome. Excellent. Sorry about that. 
There's no going worries. to be some right right editing on this, isn't there? Yeah. You know. <laughs> Good job I've got some holiday at Christmas, isn't it, really? Uh, right. <laughs> and you're retiring two months. Not retired, well, <laughs> potentially. I've not decided yet. I'm not decided yet. <laughs> oh, I'd do it like that, me. There's a number of factors. A number of factors involved. Yeah, money, mostly. Yeah. Um, so, the Italian uh, Wars collection. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. And Mrs. Mrs. Riley's Christmas present. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, uh, four questions left. Uh, Dimitri, I knew on the Twitters. Uh, what is your favourite rule set apart from Chain of Command? <laughs> what did he actually say that? No, he just didn't. I've just put that. I've just put right. Um, <laughs> okay, and, then. And what is the rule set you use all the time? I like, I like she can go for this. <laughs> favourite rule set uh, cocking up the mud and the blood, which is yeah. the First World War version of Chain of Command. I know, really? Okay. <laughs> No, I'm joking. Uh, I'll go with uh, Through the Mud and the Blood, actually, because it is such a great game. I've been playing a lot of it again, and I think it's such a great game. And the gruel set that I use all the time, Chain of Command, I guess. I'd play that. I'd play that at a drop of a hat any time. Such a good game. Yeah, it's difficult for me because most of the rules we use that I've written or Mm. um, I've bastardised from other sets... Um, the games I most enjoy, and therefore probably my favourite rule sets, are are naval stuff, the World War One and World War Two naval stuff, which is stuff that I've written. Um, yeah. But we have such a laugh and such a good time playing those games. Um, maybe you know um, we might not be the most historically accurate, but we have a right old good time when we play those. That's games. what that's all and all that matters, um, isn't it? So it's all yeah, that, counts. That, that that would be my favorite rule set um and the one we use all the time is our version our world war ii rules which is a version of a, a set of rules called um, disposable heroes from states which oh, yeah. very very you could barely recognize it to what it is now but we use that same thing for the spanish civil war and for world war ii early desert uh, and it mm. worked perfectly so they're, they're the ones that we use for a lot of games and everyone knows them so it's easy to yeah do. yeah yeah sure uh for me um i think probably the current set that i'm i'm going along with the spanish civil war bane it's an ideology by peter pig um I can't say I've got a set of rules that I use all the time because I play that many different periods, really. So um, it'd be difficult to say, but I suppose square bashing is probably... No, actually, AK-47, which I've played the most of recently. Yeah, they were big, big, big big set of rules. Awesome. Mm. Three to go. Uh, Richard Hogg, (laughs) Facebook. This is quite an interesting. This is this is quite an interesting one, actually. Uh, what's the worst tactical decision you've made in a war game? Why did, <laughs> why did you go for it, and what happened? I can do this one because it literally happened. Was it last week or the week before? I was playing. We were playing uh, Chain of Command. We were playing the Twenty Nine Let's Go uh, campaign. Myself and Dex, Dex McHenry. McHenry. Uh, we're going to be carry on playing it this Thursday. But it was, I'm with German defenders, and I've been getting my arse handed to me, which is the typical way it happens mm. in this campaign, because you're basically always falling back anyway. Uh, but in this particular game, we set up... I got the first phase. Uh, I got a double phase out of it. And he'd got a jumping-off point right on the very table edge, which was quite close to one of mine. So it was like right up the because he was doing a flank attack and it was right up the edge of the table. So 
in chain of command, I don't know if you know, if you close down a jumping off point, it stops them deploying it also right. stop, gives okay. them morale damage as well. So I thought, oh, this is this is brilliant. Look at that. It's really open. I can just pile in and get that. So I sent my first squad because I knew I had a double phase. I was running across this open ground to get to the jumping off point. Did a second run with them in the second phase, but I lost a phase, but I didn't get to the jumping off point. And then I realized just behind the hedge, about eight inches away, was another jumping off point that I'd failed to spot. So he deployed a, a bloody squad behind that hedge and just absolutely shot the shit out of the squad that I'd run across. <laughs> then he pulled out another squad from the other jumping off point that I was trying to close down, close assaulted me, practically wiped them out apart from the junior leader and the and one man, uh, dist- absolutely destroyed my uh, force morale. It dropped from about eight down to four, I think, literally in, in, in that attack because of what had happened. And... Uh, and I was just never able to get back on the uh, on on the front foot again. And it was it was such a stupid, ridiculous mistake that uh, the the problem is as well. He'd actually played this scenario as the Americans before uh, the week before with some other guys, mm. and he'd he'd had his ass handed to him because they just stayed back and used their martyrs to shoot up his his Germans. Whereas I didn't even get a chance to get my martyrs on the table because I'd made such a stupid, idiot mistake in the first place by not noticing this other chain of command. But that's friction. <laughs> there you go. First, the game, it's you like um, it's like um, all gamers anonymous, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sean, have you got one? Uh, yeah, mine is probably getting on for thirty years ago, and it still <laughs> sticks in my mind. It still stings. <laughs> still stings. Uh, American Civil War um, at the Stoke Club on a huge table using Dixon figures. Um, I've got the left flank of the Union Army. Uh, we've held the Confederates. I can't remember what battle it was. It, w- it would have been a historical battle, but uh, the Confederates are held in the middle, and I'm ch- I'm um, trying to do a left hook uh, with with my uh, division. And uh, we were using some old computer-moderated rules back in the day on a Spectrum one two eight K called. Nice. Called Victoriana, which were lovely. We used them for many years uh, and had some great. Are you still using that computer tonight for your internet connection? <laughs> I think I might. <laughs> might have been better on that actually. <laughs> um, Sorry, that was below so, the belt. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, very true. <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm sort of moving my division down the table, um, hoping to swing it round to the, to the right, if you like, to give that left up. Um, but there's woodland down my left-hand side, so my flank's on a, on a wood. Hmm. And th- we had a guy who umpired the games for us back then. Uh, and probably, uh, he was a big fan of the South, and I may have said this before, but his name was Jeff Davis. Hmm. Um, I'm sure he changed his name by Depot. Jeff Davis. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, he, as each turn was going by, he was whistling. Teddy Bear's Picnic, if you go down in the woods today, you'd be in for a big surprise. And I never caught on at all what he was, why he was doing this. But right at the worst opportunity possible, just as I'm making that turn into the uh, Confederate right flank, as it were, uh, a load of Confederates came out of this woodland 
piled into <laughs> me and routed my division off the table. Oh. And he said, didn't you get it when I'm whistling Teddy Bear's picnic? I said, no, I didn't get it. And I wasn't expecting. I didn't realise there was a Confederate division in that wood that have now slaughtered every single man I've got. But thanks very much. Yeah, it was a great game. That's that's proper subtlety, that, isn't it? You know, we've, yeah. we've yeah. talked about people not reading briefings. <laughs> not not recognising subliminal whistling is... it's another level isn't it yeah it's another another level um, mine, mine goes back to our earlier conversations about lions and donkeys uh, to be fair <laughs> because um, I I was I was the, the donkey um, and we, we a Spanish Civil War and I had a, a brigade of um, international brigades uh, four battalions quite a big force um and um there was a an objective that we needed to capture from uh the republican uh, sorry the the nationalists Uh, and they had uh, some legion and a couple of machine guns in this objective and there was a relatively big um open space in front of this objective and i convinced myself in my tiny little mind that if the cards came out right, that I could get across this open space and into combat with these troops, you know, maybe maybe have one that gets shot up a little bit and then I'm in. Um, and this is a card-driven system as well. Um, and the cards just... I, I moved a unit into the open and then the cards didn't come out for the other units. That unit got <laughs> shot to pieces. The card for the next unit came out. And, of course, my donkey-like generalship went, ah, oh, go on, it'll work this time. It'll work this time. <laughs> dead. Next one, dead. And, I, and I, left, I left the fourth battalion on the edge of the wood. Um, <laughs> uh, just going, no, we're not going there we're yeah, not doing that I'd, I'd, no sacri- I'd sacrificed about 1500 200,000 soldiers um, and yeah I was I was being led round the back of a, of a shed by a commissar carrying a <laughs> But you know, sometimes you convince yourself that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I did. I mean, I I, I convinced myself that closing down his jumping off point would be the best thing to do. Caught in the open, just got massacred. Yeah, Yeah, I'm not not one of these that sits down and calculates odds and thinks, oh, you know, oh, I've got 32 percent of this and a 16 percent. But I thought I've got a reasonable chance here, and you can play it out in your mind of the cards coming out, and it it just went horribly wrong. But that's friction, as you say earlier on. You plan something. And you know, there's a set with this set with a set of rules that has friction. You're going to get these times when it just doesn't work, and it's not your fault. You know, in that case, from from a narrative point of view, you know, your 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 men all fell into a sunken road that you'd not noticed, Mm. and just got shot up in dead ground. You know, that's the that's the story there. And the other one's the narrative behind it. Yeah, Yeah. they'd not seen them, so they just followed in, and then they got blasted up as well. When in reality, yes. it's just a good excuse for some shit decisions that you make. <laughs> it's, just, it. it's the journey, not the arrival. Yeah, yeah definitely, <laughs> definitely. Uh, so, two questions left, and this one's a really quick one um, because we don't drink while we're wargaming. So, Sean is back, and I think Sean needs to see uh, somebody, a counsellor, in relation to alcohol use um, because he's put, <laughs> um, should, you, should you drink themed drinks for your war games? Um, whiskey with no E for Culloden, uh, vodka for Stalingrad, etc. 
it goes back to the no, I don't really drink while I'm yeah, wargaming. So, really no, yeah. I know some people do, don't they? I know the guys at Little Wars; they always have whiskey kicking about and stuff yeah. when they're when they're gaming things. But yeah, no, it's not. We yeah. we I've been known to um, have a quick shot of brandy or port before a Napoleonic game, and yeah. um, Wellington used to toast today's fox, didn't he, before the, the yes. battle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've done that to wind French players up in the past. Mm. Um, without a shadow of a doubt, but um, yeah. Whenever I um, involved in a toast or whatever, you know, sat around dinner, I will always say today's fox, <laughs> and get very funny, funny looks from people. <laughs> I like I like period music playing in the background. Yeah, um, I like that. That adds to yeah. a bit of a bit of the uh, especially we were, Vietnam. Yeah, we were playing um, Undaunted Stalingrad. Uh, the other week, my mate came over, and I had the Red Army Choir playing in the background, uh, all the uh, yeah, the Volga balls, uh, Volga boat song, and things like that. You know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So I always play. I always play some um, like religious music when I bring the Templar Knights on, or um, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. So yeah. Church Maybe not crime. drinking, but music is, yeah. is a, is yeah, a good that's thing. Per- I think. Perfectly acceptable. Perfectly <laughs> acceptable. Final question. Final question. Simon Stokes on Facebook. Um, so, um, for, where do binyarders stand on oversized command bases? Uh, first thing I would say is if I'm standing on an oversized command base, it's a fucking big command base. Um, but what he Especially actually means. Especially if it's means, all three of us on it. What he actually means. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, uh, what he actually means is, and I've never heard of this, there's two sort of sections, using 28 mil figures for the commanders in a 6 mil army. Never seen that. Never seen um, scale figures. I've I've seen it done. Have you? Paul, uh, Paul Attar Club for Strength and Honour, he's got 2 mil figures, but then the the, uh, the 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 army commanders are, I think they're 15 mil figures based on uh, 2 pence pieces. Right. So you okay. can spot them. It's nice. I think it's a it's a nice little you know it's it's abstract, uh, but at least you can see exactly where the commander is. And a two mil, a two mil command base isn't going to look very good, is it? Mm. Let's be honest, because it's going to be a, a small amount of very tiny things. <laughs> where at least you can you can at least you can pick the the fifteen mil figure up and move yeah. it about. I, you see I, it I, I refer away. I refer the honourable gentleman to my previous answer about two mil. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. What do you expect? It's two mil. <laughs> yes, but when it's on mass, it looks good. So, but you wouldn't agree with that. <laughs> I'm not going to say it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I try to think. Have I done it before and other stuff? I can't. Um, I I do something similar with my Bluka stuff. I've got six mil Bluka, but the buildings are all two mil. So instead of having six mil buildings, which aren't the right footprint. So, like, I've got, uh, you know, a Hugamon uh, done on a six-inch base, but it's done in two mil, so it looks like the Chateau rather It fits than... the ground scale far better, yeah, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I, I do it the opposite way around. No, I approve of that. Um, but the, 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 the other side, because I hadn't heard of that before, I have to say, um, is the other side of it is um, having, like, a mini diorama on a larger base than the unit bases for the you know the the, the other stuff in in whatever scale in um, Simon's put twenty eight mil, but I suppose it would be for any scale. Um, so having little vignettes as a, yeah, as a command I base. quite like that. I have to say, I do as yeah. well. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah Martin Pine over Proof. at Seventh Son, he does some fantastic ones. He does, yeah. Yeah, they're really nice, and they just stand out. It's like, again, it's it's immersion, isn't it? At the end of the day, it's you know, it's it's a game. It's meant to look nice on the table, and if it looks nice, and if that helps it look nice, then there's nothing wrong with it. They um, tell little stories, don't they? Those ones yeah. Martin's done. There's, yeah, exactly. I think there's some Roman. Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, some sort of religious emissary uh, on one of his English civil. Uh, sorry, Wars of the Roses bases. Uh, I can't quite remember the name, name of the guy, but it's some Italian guy, and it looks really good. Yeah. yeah. Oh yes, story. the guy who came over from the, uh, the Pope to see yes. the kings. Yes, I remember. Yeah, that. there you go. That was it. Yeah. Yeah, I've done it for for old group for the for battalion headquarters. You don't need them, and it's just a dice holder, but. You know, I've just done a little vignette of like a couple of commanders and a, a jeep or something next yeah. to the wall, and it's just just adds a little bit extra to the tabletop. Mm. I think, I, yeah, I, I I have my commanders on round bases, and the diameter yeah. of the base represents where they are in the command chain. So, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah a bigger a base idea. is is higher up the command chain. Yeah, um, that's but, a good idea. But you do, I have I have seen, um, and I'm not going to mention names, former. Uh, war games people I've played with, um, where people have had command staff that have had the ground area of you know bigger than a cavalry regiment, right? With like you know the, the and to it, gain an advantage. No, no, not to gain an advantage, but just the fact that they they love command figures. So they, oh, okay. where is it out with them? Yeah, so they 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 have like this massive block about. 12 inches by 8 inches just covered in command figures. I mean, it looked good. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Yeah. It looked good. But you've got, like, Napoleon there with all the marshals and then all the aide-de-camps are in the background. And yeah, yeah. It's like, and a coach. Yeah, and a coach. <laughs> and, and how far... Well, again, I don't, I how, don't mind. How far do you move that? Yeah. <laughs> well, in that case, you're not, are you? It's just a, again, it's it's only like a piece of scenery, isn't it, at the yeah. back of the table yeah. or something? Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're putting houses on the table, then why not do something like that? It doesn't have, if it doesn't affect the game in any way, and it doesn't, and it's not an advantage, like Sean says. You know, if you've got, a, if you are measuring from it, measure from a point in the center, not from the edge. Then, yeah. You know, there's there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think. Mm. Or, or you can, yeah, or you're consistent with. Everyone's got the same size basis for their yeah purposes. yeah either, either it, or yeah it works quite well. Well, gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure again speaking to you both. Um, thank you very much for doing it. Um, and uh, this will come out just before Christmas. So Merry Christmas to everyone who's listening. Um, yeah, and um, next summer, guys. I reckon so. Yeah. I'll pencil you, you're going to let us out, though, aren't you, before <laughs> for some fresh air? Because it's bloody cold down here. Yeah, only if you agree to do it. Oh, yeah, and really... Sean stinks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like curry you sent down. <laughs> well, that was curry, was it? Yeah. I, was say, I don't think it was chicken. <laughs> you don't want to know what meat's in there. No. <laughs> right, guys, say goodnight to the audience. Good night to the audience. <laughs> Uh, good night and uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, yeah, Merry Christmas, you everybody. Are. Or whatever it is you celebrate at this time of year. Enjoy it. Yeah. And, and we're quite open to having presents sent to us if you feel yes. that way. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time. See ya. Brilliant. Cheers, Ken. Bye bye.
Hi, it's Carlo Pagano from episode 30 of the Reef Big Podcast, the Sedan Special. Uh, just want to take the opportunity to thank everybody who's had so many wonderful comments on the podcast and to wish everybody a very Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, travel safe, game hard. I hope you've spent a lot of money over the holidays. I hope Santa's good. A lot of wargaming paraphernalia that suddenly turns up under the tree and in some stockings. And let's hope that uh, the new year brings a lot of great games, a lot of high dice, certainly dice that I to roll off the table and with round edges, and certainly ones that you can see. And um, we'll see how everybody goes next year. Best wishes from Australia. Bye-bye. Hi, Ian from Flags of War here. You might remember me from episode 24 of the Yorkshire Gamers Reap Big War Games podcast. Just wanted to wish you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year when it comes. Um, I'm really looking forward to the time off and I'm pretty much sure all you guys will be too. Can't wait to get some painting and some gaming done and really looking forward to my deep fried turkey as well, which should go down a treat. Um and look forward to 2023 with all the gaming and listening to Ken and his podcasts. Um, take care. Wow, what a marathon that was. We're just uh, coming up on three and a half hours. Um, I hope you're still with us, um, or as you know, break it up into little bits, break it up into sections, um, drives to work, etc. Painting sessions. You've got a couple of painting sessions, I think, out of this one. Uh, so uh, it just leaves me to wish you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Um, I hope you all get some time to do a bit of gaming, a bit of painting in between the festivities and uh, celebrating the festive period with your family and uh, friends and your gaming buddies as well. After all, uh, we do spend quite a lot of time together um, playing with our little toy soldiers. So uh, it's uh, it's fantastic to have you all on board this last year. And uh, this isn't the final podcast for this year, would you believe? I also recorded an awards ceremony with uh, Alex and Sean, and I'm going to put that out just in between Christmas and New Year. It's nowhere near as long as this. It's about an hour tops. Um, but... Uh, other than the you know the usual who's best manufacturer and all that sort of stuff, I've kind of done a little bit of an alternative award ceremony. Uh, the Golden Puddings, as they are called, uh, which is perfectly apt for, for us Yorkshire folk. So, thanks again for listening. Thanks again for spending so much time with me on this episode and throughout the year. And uh, I've had lots of cracking messages from people who listen to the podcast. Uh, thank you very much for your support through the year and uh, look forward to the awards ceremony next week get your best bib and tucker on and uh, get your dregs of your christmas beer left uh, to sit down and uh, celebrate the best of 2022 with me alex and sean next week until then so they <laughs>